everybody. Welcome to the Fat Panda Podcast. I feel like every single time I start this podcast, I just take 10 years off Paul's life. Yeah, and I'm already the oldest one, so if you keep it up, I won't make it another week. One of these episodes, I just will call in, and you'll know that you killed me. Nah, man, it's going to happen during the episode. I'm just going to say some facsimile for the podcast name, and there's going to be a groan. (laughs) And then I'm dead. (laughs) There's going to be a loud collapse. <laughs> and then I'm dead. Yeah. No, that's probably true. So don't tempt fate. Because remember, I'm bankrolling this operation. So what are you going to do then? You well, added us to your will, right? <laughs> no. I shouldn't At least have the, the corporation. Well, yeah. we'll just... Uh, Draw up a marriage certificate, say you and Brett were married. <laughs> oh, okay. Why does it have to be me? Because <laughs> it would be fucking hilarious trying to sell that to people. Yeah. There would be like, so much evidence. Like, could you imagine you two being married? No. Oh my god. No. Just <laughs> great. No. All right, let's move on. Now I'm getting concerned. All right, so this week we're going to talk about El Presidente and some of the dumb shit that he's doing slash happening around him. Well, the the big news this week was obviously Comey testifying to to the Senate, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So let's just just get that out of the way first. Uh, What did everybody think of that? So we'll start with Brett. Boring, inconsequential waste of time. And obviously nothing came of it. And no one really cares about it. And the Democrats wasted all their time. And it was a nice little distraction that worked perfectly for the Republicans. Well, I don't know. I mean, the Republicans control that committee. So I don't know that the Democrats wasted time with it the republicans control all the committees because they have the house and the senate so i don't know that you can i don't know that you can blame that well, if it helped on them, democrats of course you can the political pressure behind it i mean just because all republicans control doesn't mean that there's republicans who don't like trump and they're more prone to going along with what the Democrats are pushing for because there's more political support behind it. Okay. I don't see that at all, but... All right. I mean, like, there's McCain and... um... Yeah, there's McCain and... And probably a couple other rhinos. I mean, there's all kinds of conservatives out there that don't aren't really hot about Trump, like Paul Ryan. Oh, come on. Firstly, Paul Ryan, while he might not be privately hot about Trump, he's very publicly, very much, you know, 
going for his thing. Also, John McCain's not a rhino. Like, he was pro-war in Iraq. He doesn't like Obamacare. He doesn't like Obamacare, right? I'm pretty sure he's one of the guys who didn't like Obamacare. Anyway, like, all the ideas he had were are fairly conservative and fairly right-wing. The only difference is there's a couple of things he's not entirely in agreement on, which are, like, the reasonable things, like climate change is real. Maybe this is a really good Machiavellian move from the Republicans because it is certainly a good distraction, and if they control the committees, they can just hype it up to a level where you get know, action. it promises more than it actually gives. And meanwhile, they'll do all kinds of stuff in the House. If so anything, that's a possibility. This is to get them re-election in 2018. I think it might might also like they might be trying to prove that they're like independent from Trump, you know, like oh I'm for government accountability no matter who it is. So yeah, that would look good for re-election for them. So there's all kinds of reasons to do it, but it doesn't change the fact that it didn't really yield anything for what the Democrats wanted. Well, I think you're dismissing the very obvious interpretation which is that there is something there and that they really can't ignore it i mean special counsel has been appointed right by the justice department and that's based on real things that trump has done i mean trump said himself in an interview i fired comey because of the russia investigation so, like, Republicans didn't force him to say that. Democrats didn't force him to say that. That's why Comey's getting interviewed. Had nothing to do with politics. I, I, would, I think most Republicans would ignore this if they could. I think they just, they can't. Okay. Um, I don't see anything wrong with Trump firing Comey over the Russian investigation. Because you can be investigating someone for anything, and there could be like, there there can't there doesn't have to be merit to the investigation to investigate someone. There can just be a lot of political pressure behind it. Okay, but regardless of that, doesn't change the fact that regardless of if there's actually anything there, it would still be obstruction of justice, right? Like. It doesn't matter if the investigation, if the person is actually guilty, like they don't have to be guilty of the thing that the investigation is over in order for them to obstruct the investigation. I mean, again, we go back to the comparisons to Nixon. It's important to note there's actually no evidence that Nixon was actually behind the Watergate break in. There was just evidence that he tried to end the investigation into the break in. Okay, what's your what's like your worst case scenario for like Trump um, being caught with like Russia? What would be the worst thing that he could do to you that you're scared about? Well, the worst thing that he could do is the stuff he's already done, which is destabilizing our foreign policy and our alliances across the country. But I don't know that it has anything. I mean, the longer the stuff goes on, you know, I think the interesting thing that came out of the Comey testimony was that, um, and I think the thing that Republicans have jumped on 
Wait, so the worst thing that he could do is is not exactly like related to the investigation. I mean, he can be screwing up the world and be completely innocent with Russia and the investigation that's going on. Well, no, I mean, I think that, well, so again, let me, let me clear, let me back up. The biggest thing that I think that Republicans jumped on out of Comey's testimony was that um, he basically confirmed what Trump said, which is that there was no, the, there was no investigation into Trump personally, that they're just looking into the campaign as a whole, right? And so the longer it goes on, my personal opinion is that I don't know that Trump actually did anything. I, actually, the longer it goes on, I don't think he did. I think it's very likely that people in his campaign did. Uh, Manafort, obviously. But uh, Manafort was obviously working with pro-Russian Ukrainians. Uh, Flynn, we know, was you know, getting money from the Russian government that uh, was illegal. He wasn't allowed to. He wasn't declaring as a foreign agent. Um, and I think increasingly signs are pointing to Kushner may have been orchestrating a lot of this behind the scenes. So Trump himself, I don't know that Trump himself was actually that. I don't know that there was like a quid pro quo where it was like Trump was saying, if you help me and get me elected, I'll back off sanctions. I think likely it was somebody like Kushner or Flynn that was doing that. And they were just using Trump because Trump, like, is a nitwit, right? But the ultimate endpoint of that is the reason it works so well with Trump is because I think he already played into uh, Putin's hands, which is questioning NATO, questioning globalism, uh, being a dick to certain of our allies uh, in these are all things that really help Russia. And I think he's doing them all already, regardless of if he actually knew anything about any deal with Russia or anything like that. And, and by the way, if there's anything that I think he's actually guilty of, it's the stuff around, you know, there were links that he had to uh, money laundering, right? Like, but they're all very consequential conspiracy theory links in terms of like, he uses the same bank that has ties to Russian mafia and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know that you'd ever prove it. But if there's anything there, my guess is that's the most likely thing, which is that he was laundering money through the business somehow. And maybe not even him specifically. Again, maybe it was somebody inside the company. Because I don't get the impression from Trump so far that he's what you would call a hands-on leader. So it's much more likely that he's being used and he just doesn't understand it. But okay, that also so doesn't mean he can't completely wreck things because he already had a Russia authoritarian-style worldview. So, so Kushner, it's discovered that he's talking with Russians during the campaign and telling them to um, create fake news websites here, here, and here in order to sway public opinion. Like, what is... What's the big deal about that? Well, why do you why do you see that as, like, a huge problem? Well, so first of all, it wasn't the fake news websites. It was the hacking of the DNC, the DCCC, John Podesta, and, by the way, lots of other people, right? They just didn't release... You know, I, the other thing that came out of Comey's testimony was he said, 
that and this is the thing like there's a Seth Rich conspiracy that's been going on that oh it was Seth Rich who leaked the Podesta emails and the DNC emails not Russia and all that stuff and it's like it's so stupid because Seth Rich himself didn't even have access to that stuff anyway but even if you could assume that he did Comey the other thing that came out of Comey's testimony was look Russia was hacking lots of stuff in the government and outside of the government NGOs and, and near government organizations right and he said there were hundreds, maybe over a thousand cyber attacks over the course of two years before the election. Seth Rich wasn't doing that, right? Russia was doing that. We now know that there were there were fingerprints to Russia hacking into the French election. And so, you know, the fake news to me is like the least of it. And yeah, I don't care about the fake news part of it. But if you're start talking about they're hacking into political parties releasing information and stuff like that and an american is behind that and those are government organizations or near government organizations that's a significant security threat i mean that's in my opinion tantamount to treason depending okay, on but who if, they were if, attacking if russia like hacks into the dnc and releases all of their secrets how is that that's just transparency in the democracy, I think it's, it's one-sided. So, so if we just if we just hacked into your emails and just released them out there, well, it's just transparency. Yeah, it's why would why would that be treason? Well, you don't work for the government, but the DNC and the DCCC, those are government officials. The DCCC. The Democratic Congressional uh, Campaign Committee. Okay. Um, well, what I'm saying basically is like the Democrats were doing a bunch of shady crap. And the Russians... Wait, what and, shady crap? It's not for... Like, um, everything about the, them funding like shadow groups that would um, like move in and uh, bus people around areas and then the Podesta emails showed I don't know it ignited like the Pizzagate scandal um, which was fake you're just bringing up fake conspiracy theories not exactly yes exactly and I'm not getting it on this road I mean Pizzagate was even Alex Jones apologized for it so. Okay, but once again, like, why wouldn't you be okay with like more transparency for like government officials? Like, it was obviously like if Russia did it, they uh, kind of took like a whistleblower kind of um, role in the election. I'm okay with. I mean, I, if, I'm, I'd fully if the support. Republicans were like hacked or like a whistleblower came out, I'd be all right with like all of their secrets being like spilled everywhere that's fine to me right but there was nothing illegal leaked from the dnc or john podesta's emails it was just stuff that got blown out of proportion i mean i it's i'm i'm like thinking now like there was an email like bashing catholics and then there was another email talking about like busing people to like different districts and stuff like that during the election uh, period. Again, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories. The busing people thing was taken completely out of context. 
talk one person in the DNC saying bad things about Catholics or Jews as they did with Bernie Sanders, like that's not illegal. Yeah, right? I know. So like I am absolutely for government transparency. I never said anything illegal. I said like she. So it's not whistleblowing. It's not whistleblowing. It's just private so it stuff. Has to, it has to be illegal for it to be whistleblowing. Yes. Otherwise, you're just airing people's dirty laundry. They're private conversations. That's invasion of privacy. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with airing politicians' dirty laundry. I'm not. Well, yes, regardless of whether or not you're fine with it, it's still an illegal act. Yes. It is illegal as a violation of someone's privacy to hack into their I'm not, information I'm not and release it. it. I'm not saying that it's like not illegal or not like morally wrong, but what I'm saying is that like the impact there of like understanding like what big political parties are trying to do and like what their inner workings are and what their true actual opinions are and what their strategies are. Like knowing that, like the general voting public knowing that isn't really that bad of a thing. I disagree because I think it gets twisted into all these different ways that it shouldn't be. And I, I think it's getting – I think this is a perfect case sample of that because it's got twisted by conspiracy theorists on the right who believed in this Pizzagate bullshit. And then a guy walked into this completely innocent restaurant with a gun and then it's gotten twisted by people on the left into thinking all this ridiculous stuff about – you know, Clinton plotting against uh, Bernie Sanders and, and the DNC was uh, manipulating votes and stuff like that. And all these things, there's no evidence to support it. There's just conspiracy theory extractions that are getting made out of nothing. And the end result is it undermines, it undermines confidence in uh, our government. It undermines confidence in our election systems. And that's how you end up on a path towards totalitarianism. When people don't trust their dem their democratic system, they turn to authoritarians. Okay, right? yeah, but if people have too much trust in their democratic system, then you get an oligarchy. So it's yeah. kind of like a balance of the two. It is a balance. And again, I have not what I'm saying is I'm not opposed to government transparency. I'm at one hundred percent like let's take Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State in the email situation. Now, I have multiple times said that what Clinton did uh, was not illegal, and she wasn't knowingly transferring classified information, and that was what Comey found as well. However, one of the policy changes that came out of that was that the Secretary of State is required to use an official government email, and that means it's therefore subject to um, the same government records laws. Right. So they have to keep these things and they have to go into the Library of Congress because they have to be public testimony, unless they're classified, obviously. That wasn't the case when Clinton was secretary of state, which is why she didn't break any laws. She didn't do anything about it. You know, that's why there was no laws broken there. And she wasn't knowingly sending classified information. But the end result of that was a good thing, which was more transparency, because now John Kerry and Rex Tillerson, they have to use a, a state.gov email and that has to go into the public record. I'm 100% in support of that. I'm not in support of uh, a political rival working with a foreign government to hack into a personal person's Gmail account for political gain. That's not okay. That is conspiracy to commit a cybercrime. 
Okay. And once again, like none of this has been proven. Well, the collaboration part or even like the Russia part, like people have suspicions, but it isn't proven. And that's your worst case scenario right there. And I don't think that it's a huge thing to be worried about because once again, all it does is give more transparency. And sure, you can distrust. It raises distrust in the democratic system and it lowers people's faith in it. But ultimately, that's a good thing because right now, America's pretty corrupt. So, like, it may be bad that foreign governments can manipulate our, our election, but at some level, they're always going to be doing that in terms of, like, officials from the EU, like Angela Merkel and um, Cameron, like... Um, talking about Trump like he's an idiot in front of everyone and then Democrats using that and going, oh, see all these global leaders, they don't like Trump. So there's all kinds of ways that governments can use political leverage on uh, the, the election in the United States. Well, so there's two things to that. One is... Uh, I, I think the argument that you're making is a bad argument and it's a bogus argument. And it's the same argument that gets made when we allow the government or uh, like the NSA or the FBI or the CIA to tap into our personal correspondence. And it's the same argument that people go, well, if you're not hiding anything, you don't have anything to worry about. But that's 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 bogus argument, right? Like the Third Amendment is there for a reason. Or sorry, not the Third. The Fourth Amendment is there for a reason, right? And it's to protect our civil liberties. So this idea that like, well, you know, they're government officials and uh, it's providing transparency. So therefore, it's OK to violate their privacy. No, 100 percent disagree with that. Like we have the right. Like if there was something going on, there's a proper way to handle that. Right. So if you're a government official, then your sub then your communications relating to government activity should be uh, in the public record as government correspondence. And if you're violating that then we have a law against that. and But then what you do is you have an investigation, which is what they're doing right now, what Comey did into Clinton before, what he's doing into the Trump campaign now. You have an investigation, you search it out, and you go through it the right way. You get warrants and you do the right thing. You don't throw out the rule of law because it suits. You find something wrong, right? That's just not how this works. Okay, so that's one. Two is that I'm sick and tired of this argument that nothing has been proven, okay? One of the things that also came up in the Comey testimony was they asked him, point blank, is there any doubt that Russia hacked into the DNC and the DCCC and Podesta to influence the election? He said, no, there's no doubt, right? Every agency, private organization, foreign government that has looked into these things and connected them across the world, whether it be the French election, whether it be hacking into private companies, NGOs, nonprofits, things like that, they've all found similar fingerprints and they've all come to the same conclusions that Russia's doing these hacks. And by the way, I don't even think Russia's trying to hide it anymore. I mean, Putin just this week or last week, like he's basically laughing at us. He's sitting here saying like, oh, well, maybe if some, you know, some patriotic person hacked into uh, a foreign entity and released it to uh, to help, you know, they're just being patriotic. Like, he's not even hiding it anymore. 
So this idea that there's no proof, A, is a lie. B, is you'll never get the proof that you want to see because it's either classified or you won't believe it anyway. And the third point to this is um, I just think that the idea that there seems to be this like dichotomy, which is you have to pick sides on the Russia thing, right? Which is like either you 100% believe that Russia hacked into it and it's awful. We have to go to war with Russia and it's World War Three, or you can't believe any of this and it's all made up and it's a ploy by Democrats to excuse an election loss and all this stuff. No, the vast majority of people are in the middle, which is, yeah, Russia hacked into the election. It sucks. We should hold, if there was Americans helping that, we should hold them responsible. That doesn't mean we go to war with them. That just means we beef up security. We understand the risks and we try to address it going forward. And we understand what happened, you know, and Comey also testified that there was no evidence that Russia hacked into uh, election machines and changed vote totals. So ultimately there's no reason to believe that the system, the electoral system was broken. At best, it just showed that American voters were easily manipulated, but Jesus Christ, we knew that already. So I, I don't understand why there has to, it's like the two camps have gone to the side where it's like, you can't be reasonable about it. It's either war with Russia or everything about Russia is fake news. It's like, no, Russia did this. We have to accept that. But that doesn't mean we have to think everything was rigged or everything is broken and that we have to go to with war with Russia. It just means that understand what happened so we learn from it and move forward and find anybody responsible that was helping them. I'm not ruling so, out that... Oh, you want to... I'll jump in, Amr. I mean, there's a point that I've been wanting to make for a while now. Yeah, go ahead. So I'd like to actually read some of the tran- the transcript for Comey's thing. So Senator Tom Cotton says, let's turn our attention to the underlying activity at issue here. Russia's hacks into those emails and releasing them and the allegations of collusion. Do you believe Donald Trump colluded with Russia? Comey. That's a question I don't think I should answer in an open setting. As I said, that, dash, we didn't, that, ph, when I left, we did not have an investigation focused on Trump. But that's a question that will be answered by the investigation, I think. Also implying that there might not have been an investigation earlier, but there certainly is one now. I mean, I don't know that we know that, but I do think there were also interesting things that came out, including, by the way, that he was asked if there was an investigation into Jeff Sessions, and he said, I don't think I can answer that in open court. And that is concerning, uh, considering Jeff Sessions is attorney general now. I'm not ruling out that the Russians didn't hack the DNC, but... I wouldn't say that it's proven at all because the FBI didn't actually even look into the DNC servers. They relied on a third party, on a private company, in order to get all their information about the hacking. And that company was being paid by the DNC to do all their cybersecurity. So it's not like concrete unless you think that everything that the DNC does and private corporations do and even the FBI does is completely impartial, which I don't buy at all. 
No, I don't buy that it's impartial, but I so, also don't buy into conspiracy so, theories. And they did; they have gotten ooh. access. They have and gotten then access to the D triple because it is. They did access the D triple They did corruption? access Podesta's emails. They did access all this stuff. This is the same. Again, these are the same bogus arguments that like you find a window. So that you can make something out of nothing, right? And so this is the same thing. You go, well, you can't prove it. You can't prove it. Because nothing can ever be proven. I think it's perfectly reasonable to assume that the U.S. government, and especially the two major parties, are going to have a tendency to be corrupt. Especially when there's a reason to be corrupt. And that reason is, is if they pay this private corporation to lie and say, yep, 100% Russians hacked us. FBI believes them. They can totally use this scandal to push for more and more and more investigations into Trump and just continue to have it held over his head as a measure to discredit him. And that's ultimately what I think it is. So there is a way. You're on really shaky ground, and there's a ground to merit no, no, no. Like, You're on very shaky ground. Up. This is this is exactly the same tack that's used for climate change denial, which is you find one thing that maybe didn't agree with something or didn't agree with some prediction. You go, ah, oh, see, that proves the whole thing wrong. No, no, no. Oh, yes. He, what he said was they did not access, they did not personally look at the servers, the DNC servers. That doesn't mean they didn't also look at the DCCC servers. He didn't say anything about the John Podesta emails. They did look into all that. They looked into all the things where it's been attacking other government agencies, right? And then you you always go to attacking the source, right? This is the fundamental thing of people who deny science and deny reality is they go to the source. You can't trust this person because they're getting grants, right? So this government grant, you know, this person's getting government grants, so they're talking about climate change, so therefore you can't believe climate change, right? The un- Understand what you're saying, that if you're saying that... I'm not saying conspiracies can't exist, but what I'm saying is... If you're sitting here saying that this company is being paid by the DNC to make up this story about Russia that just so happens to align with all these other things that Russia has done, that the, that the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and foreign governments have also confirmed, right, that this company was having to get paid by the DNC, that they would have had to made it all up, and everybody in the company is keeping quiet on it. Everybody in the FBI, everybody in the DNC who, who did the paying, everybody in the FBI who is going along with this and believing it, everybody with the company that is made this up, all of them are keeping quiet. And the thing that we know, the thing that we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt now, based off the Trump administration, is you, people don't keep quiet. They leak something. They leak things. Right? There's always an Edward Snowden or a Chelsea Manning or whoever it is in the White House is leaking right now, there's always a leak. There has been no leaks that have indicated... A lot of people would say that Seth Rich would be the leak. He never... Oh, he unfortunately no, no, died. No, no, no. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Doing this. I mean, you would be surprised at what people are capable and willing to do in order to stay in power. And I think to some degree, you guys are fairly naive in terms of believing the things that private security corporations and your dog thinks bullshit. Yeah, he does. No, he's agreeing. He's barking in agreement right now. 
And I think it's perfectly reasonable to rise arouse suspicions about it. But once again, like everything we're doing right now is just speculation. Exactly. So, so let's let, let's. There's not. Well, and by the way, this gets to the, this gets to the real point, which is again whether or not Trump helped the Russians hack into anything, whether or not the Russians actually did hack anything, is completely irrelevant to the real point of the investigation, which is obstruction of justice. Okay. And Comey made it very clear in his testimony that he felt like Trump was attempting to obstruct the investigation. Whether or not the investigation was going to go against Trump or anything like that doesn't matter. Again, we don't know that Nixon ordered the Watergate break-in. We know that he attempted to stop the investigation. And Comey made it very clear. He says, uh, he says quote, why would you kick the attorney general, the president, the chief of staff out to talk to me if it was about something else? And so that, to me, as an investigator, is a very significant fact. He says, it is my judgment that I was fired because of the Russian investigation. I was fired in some way to change or the endeavor was to change the way the Russian investigation was being concluded. And he says, in quote, he says, we don't want the agents and analysts working on this to know that the president of the United States has asked... And when it comes from the president, I took it as a direction to get rid of the investigation. I mean, honestly speaking, we have more than enough to impeach him at this point. You know, in addition to the emoluments clause, which we already have, by firing Comey and directly admitting to the fact that he did it because of the Russia investigation, that's him admitting to obstruction of justice. Plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think people that are saying that... Depend on your interpretation. Well, the special prosecutor will find it out. I mean, we're not going to get a special prosecutor. There already is one. Oh, a special investigator. Robert Mueller. Right, you know about Robert Mueller, right? I know about Robert Mueller. Yeah. So. Honestly speaking, I'm worried about Mr. Mueller, though, because of the whole – ignoring the whole Kushner thing, I feel as if they wouldn't have somebody like this unless they could get them in their – get them in his – well, get them in their – in – I don't know how to do English – I don't think they would have someone like Robert Mueller unless he was in their pocket. Uh, I mean, it's a concern, and I think already you're seeing other ways the White conspiracy. House is trying to use it. That's a conspiracy. Uh, well, no, because again, this is a real thing, which is uh, Robert Mueller is an attorney. When his, the he's an attorney, and the law firm that he works for represented. Um, Jared Kushner and somebody else, I can't remember who and legally they're not allowed to investigate people that were their clients now so he actually has to get a waiver from the Department of Justice to be able to investigate Jared Kushner and I forget who the other person is in the government, I want to say it was uh, I want to say it was Michael Flynn but I'm not 100% sure so like that's not a conspiracy theory that's literally like it's the law he has to get a waiver right now to be able to investigate those people. And it just so happens those are people that might be at the center of the investigation. Now, so far, the Department of Justice has granted those waivers or has indicated that they are going to grant those waivers. And he's going to be fine. 
Uh, and so I'm still hoping everything works out okay. Uh, and in, he didn't personally represent Kushner. So assuming he gets the waivers, I don't see that there's going to be a huge issue of conflict of interest there. But I do think that it is... Uh, that was a bad move because it ge- it gives the White House an opening to deny him the ability to investigate Kushner. So anyway, uh, but let's get to the bigger point, which or the next point, which is you talked about what are the things like what are the concerns, right? And my answer was I'm concerned about things he's already doing which is foreign policy. Uh, well, I think foreign policy is the biggest thing um, that's going to have long-term harm. So here's a list of things that have already happened in the last few weeks, right? Uh, he went to Europe for uh, the G7 review. That was part of his nine-day trip or whatever it was. During that trip, he failed to commit to Article 5 of the NATO agreement, which was that the U.S. will defend... Well, each member nation will defend the other nations in the event of an attack. Uh, He lambasted them over spending. And uh, right after that, uh, Angela Merkel basically said that the U.S. or basically said that the EU can no longer rely on the U.S. and the U.K. So that's not good for our foreign policy and our relations with EU countries. Why? Uh, uh, well, because NATO is the backbone of global peace at this point. I mean, that's what is essentially keeping... Like, What does that if there's mean? Any, if there's anything that you can say about Putin, it's that he definitely has expansionist tendencies. He's already moved into the Ukraine. The only thing keeping him out of expanding into... Uh, Estonia uh, or any of those Eastern European countries is NATO. And if the U.S. isn't going to back NATO, all that starts to fall apart. And then you very quickly get into a situation where if NATO falls apart, you could end up with a war in Europe again. I feel like that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, why do you care... Why do you care if Russia invades Estonia? War two again. Because Estonia doesn't want to be part of the Russian Federation. Otherwise, they would join Russia. Why is that big on your radar, though? Like, why is that a super huge deal for you? Because Russia is attempting to be uh, a global. They're trying to be the anti-U.S. They're trying to amass the same kind of power as the U.S., which hurts our interests economically as well as in terms of security. I mean, Russia is not, they don't believe in democracy. I mean, Russia takes Latvia. How much does it really help them economically? When they were the Soviet Union, they had all of Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. and it didn't do them much good. Well, it undermines our sanctions, for one. All right, well, I I would like to point out that like, if you saw, like, the whole thing about Crimea, how them taking Crimea was not an economically feasible idea. Like, in order to take on Crimea and make Crimea feasible, that costs a lot of money. 
in order to invade these places and to successfully make them a part of the Union and to make them a part of the Russian Federation, that's not an easy task to do. The reason, I mean, I also kind of am going to disagree with Brett a little bit and say the reason that the Soviet Union collapsed is because it was very badly managed. They spent lots and lots of money that they simply did not have at the time. And the reason that Gorbachev had to introduce Glasnost as a thing, which was that you know every single government entity was very transparent about their numbers, is because of just how badly they were managing things. And it, by that time, it was too late to try and fix things. Because trying to have this Cold War in a communist system simply wasn't working out for them very well. So that was a thing. But I, I do agree with Brett in some ways in that, actually, I, I think it's I'm agreeing with Brett anyway, that it was not exactly feasible for the Russian Federation to try and take all of these places because when they took Crimea... That was a massive undertaking, one in order to take it over in the first place, and then to actually sink all the money needed to make it viable. Because what the state of Crimea right now is not exactly a very pleasant state. Yeah, and even if they did manage, if Putin managed to conquer, like, Belarus and Latvia, like it wouldn't be that huge of a deal because once again, like the effect of a country halfway around the world conquering a little piece of land in Eastern Europe doesn't really affect us that much. Um, and I think that the Democrats and the left has really ramped up kind of like this Russia phobia that's been there since the cold war. And it's just a complete, false equivalency through and through and about Merkel saying that oh now now we have to rely on ourselves in order to to uh, stay safe in the world like why is that a bad thing that just means that the US won't be spending as much money assisting Europe in its security I feel like that's completely fine it's not like Putin wants to invade Germany or anything like that. So there's no real, like, huge imminent threat that's attacking Europe right now. It's just a matter of the U.S. trying to influence and be imperialistic. And I don't see any problem with the, the U.S. withdrawing a little bit and focusing on itself more. So here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. Uh, yeah, whether Putin invades Germany, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's... But it doesn't matter. The point is, NATO falls apart. And NATO is what protects security of Europe as a whole. Okay? And you cannot deny that post-World War II, where the, and particularly post-Cold War, where the U.S. was the sole superpower in the world. Like, this is always the part that's difficult as... Stop messing with your computer, Brett. I'm not. Like, it's coming through, and I think it's screwing up the recording. Um... But one of the things that's happened is, as a liberal, you say, like, well, you know, we shouldn't be spending all this money on military and stuff like that. The part that I've always struggled with is, 
that the number of deaths that have occurred due to war, even while we're at war in Afghanistan and Iraq and all that stuff, has plummeted from post-World War II, right? The U.S.-led global order has essentially led to less warfare throughout the world. If NATO starts to fall, and you're already starting to see the U.K. pulling out of uh, the European Union, there was a movement in France to pull out of the European Union, those alliances start to break down. You increase the risk long-term, not of Germany going to war with Russia, but of Germany going to war with Greece, right? And, of course, Greece would get crushed. But certain countries in Europe going to war with each other again over financial insecurities and destabilization, right? Not to mention terrorism taking a bigger role in that. So that's one. The other part of this is I think that people vastly overestimate the U.S.'s ability to maintain its status without being the sole global superpower. And what I mean by that is the U.S. currently is the dollar is the international trade standard. The U.S. is the only country in the world that gets unilateral veto power at the World Trade Organization. Uh, the U.S. sits on every major uh, Security Council, U.N. Council, things like that. Uh, all of these things are what keeps the U.S. in power, and it's what keeps the U.S. its status as the economic power that it is. Because if you go down a list of metrics of what the U.S. is actually producing... We are not producing, we are not exporting to the same level that we were 50 years ago. Our education has fallen behind. Our healthcare system has fallen way behind. Uh, we are not innovating. We are not, in, uh, we're not um, investing in clean energy. We're not investing in high-tech manufacturing. We have really fallen behind. What maintains our status is the financial market and... Uh, basically our ability to be the global economic hub. If that no longer is the case, I don't think the U.S. maintains its status as the highest GDP per capita in the world. I don't think the U.S. has made the right decisions to keep its status as a global advanced country. We're already falling behind in terms of uh, poverty, child poverty and uh, life expectancy, infant mortality. And if you add to that global destabilization, trade restrictions that start to crop up as a consequence of these alliances that we have start to fall apart. I mean, the U.S. is a country that imports more than it exports now. If we start having to import goods at higher prices, what I mean, what do you think that's going to do to the economy? So I think people vastly overestimate America's independence and our ability to separate our economic fortune from our global footprint. Okay, but you're going off on a limb when when you talk about NATO and then you bring up the consequences of this being economic, like there's a lot of speculation there. Well, because and the U.S., like Germany invading Greece, 
like I'm sorry, NATO was set up as kind of like a bulwark against the Soviet Union. It wasn't it wasn't meant for just like minor like conflicts between smaller nations. And I think that the U.S. can perfectly manage that in terms of being like authoritative and um, helping support peace without NATO. Like NATO is set up for a, like World War Three. It's not it's 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 not really like super important today and the u.s can is totally capable perfectly capable of maintaining its influence without nato well but this is my larger point that it's it's not any one thing by itself it's not nato by itself by the way i would point out that i think nato's important importance goes far beyond protecting its russia now and it's more symbolic about the military uh, relationship that we all share and the fact that we have bases in all those different countries and troops in all those different countries there's also intelligence sharing that helps us uh, wage against terrorism and protect against terrorism um, and things like that so the importance of NATO goes far beyond just protecting against Russia or anything like that it's more about establishing an alliance framework that we're also not going to attack each other okay but the bigger point is that NATO by itself, I agree, NATO destabilizing by itself isn't going to be the one thing that's going to break off this uh, this global order. That it's when you put everything together, such as uh, what happened in what's happening right now in, in the Middle East with Qatar, which is uh, the Gulf states are uh, cutting off Qatar, and Trump is essentially trying to ally himself with Saudi Arabia for some reason. Well, we have a military base and we have 11,000 troops in Qatar and Qatar works with us on fighting terrorism. They share intelligence with us. And so we're hurting an ally that's helping us fight terrorism right now where we have a lot of state or a lot of troops stationed that help us uh, work in Iraq and Syria. There's also the fact uh, of uh, Iran, right? So we had the uh, nuclear agreement with Iran and now Iran was hit by ISIS, and Trump makes a statement about, oh, well, you know, basically you deserved it because you're state sponsor of terrorism. Meanwhile, he sends, you know, lots of money and munitions to Saudi Arabia, where 17 of the 19 9-11 attackers came from. Doesn't seem to see a problem with that. But if you start now breaking down relations with Iran, then they're just going to go, well, why are we dealing with this nuclear agreement any anymore? Then that sets off an arms race with Israel, right? Well, Israel already has nuclear weapons. Uh, then you combine it with what, in my opinion, is uh, a bigger threat to foreign policy than is climate change, which is pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement. I think my argument has been that that is a much bigger threat to foreign policy than it is to the climate, because nothing in the Paris Climate Agreement was actually uh, concrete. Right. There was nothing that committed the U.S. to anything in it. And on top of that, even if there was, it was never ratified by the Senate. So it was purely up to executive discretion anyway. So Trump could have just stayed in the Paris Climate Agreement and, uh, you know, rolled back regulations and not invested money in clean energy and all that stuff. There would have been no repercussions for that. But instead, he goes out and he pulls out of the Paris Climate Agreement what that does is that's an actual signal that we don't want to work with the rest of the world. And I mean, that is an agreement that everybody's mentioned 
There's only two countries that didn't sign on to it, Nicaragua and Syria. Syria is going through a civil war. Nicaragua didn't sign on to it because they think it didn't go far enough. They're generating almost 80% of their electricity from renewables right now, and or they're on path to. Uh, they thought the Paris Climate Agreement, because it didn't set hard standards, didn't do enough to fight climate change. I mean, you had countries like North Korea and, you know, Brazil and uh, Russia and the United States and the UK and South Africa and Australia. All of them came together and said, we're going to work together. That is an agreement to work together to establish uh, a common goal. And by pulling out of that, the U.S. is basically saying, I'm not interested in working together with other people. And so when you put all of these things together where he's burning bridges with allies left and right, and in even countries that aren't necessarily allies, but we have tenuous uh, pieces with, all that goes to undermine global security and, as I mentioned earlier, our status as the global economic hub. And you're going to start to see it with... Now, he already also uh, pulled out you know, declined to uh, sign the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which I agreed with on certain reasons. But now you're going to start to see China start to form trade relationships with other Asian countries. That's going to make things more expensive for the U.S. Uh, that's going to make things difficult for the U.S. in trade. There were trade agreements going on with Europe. Unclear what's going to happen there. But now they have no... They're going to be less likely to work with us on that. Like it's death by a thousand cuts. It's everything that he's putting together that is essentially making other countries not want to work with us anymore. And the next thing you know, right, when there's about five or ten more cuts, it's going to be, well, maybe the U.S. doesn't need to have veto power at the World Trade Organization. Maybe the dollar standard, maybe the euro should be the international standard, right? Maybe this base that you have in Qatar. We don't want that anymore. The space that you have in Rammstein, we don't want that anymore. And then all of a sudden, what is the U.S. doing? It's not exporting anything anymore. What are we providing at that point? But once again, there's there's a balance of of like military influence that the U.S. should have. Like, there's a point where the U.S. is basically providing all of the security for a country, and this country isn't like giving its fair share like in nato they demand that you get two percent of your gdp into military spending like most countries in nato don't even have that basic requirement and the u.s has to put in all these military bases in their countries in order to fill the tab so i understand that the u.s has to be prominent but criticizing pretty like understandable and like logical ways and like cutting back and making countries also like work their fair share is fine in my opinion well but there's nothing unique to i mean obama was doing that obama also talked to countries about contributing two percent of gdp but he didn't threaten not abiding article five in order to do it Okay, but once again, like NATO isn't really that important in terms of like what it was built for. It was meant for the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union's gone now. 
And Ooh. the way it handles smaller entanglements, like the one in Syria, is completely disastrous. And what it does is it leads to an escalation of conflict because it still has that Cold War mentality in it. So when we have Turkey and nuclear power that's part of NATO that turns a blind eye to militants rushing in and a black market oil trade um, going on along its borders, directly supporting ISIS, and Russia has a problem with that. I mean, that's the U.S.'s enemy right there. And they're more concerned with, like, killing Kurds than they are with defeating ISIS because at the end of the day, ISIS um, fulfills a lot of their goals for the region in terms of pushing back Iranian influence and of Shia influence. So the U.S. steps in and they're like, oh, Turkey is a part of NATO. We must support them no matter what. Well, what that does is it completely alienates superpowers that are like Russia and Iran, and it just escalates the situation. If the U.S. said, no, we're not going to support Turkey no matter what, which is what Trump said, then what happens is it allows for a lot more flexibility in conflicts that are convoluted and aren't just simply two superpowers fighting for hegemony. Uh, I disagree. I think what happens if you start if you start degrading NATO, then there's no reason for Turkey to not just leave NATO and go start working with Iran directly or start working with Bashar al-Assad directly uh, or ISIS directly, whatever. Um, although I don't necessarily think they would start working with ISIS directly or even Russia, right? Turkey and Russia have gotten paired up on certain other things. Um, yes, Turkey is mainly concerned about the Kurds, but, and ISIS is helping that, but there are plenty of other regimes in the region that would also help them crack down on Kurds. So they'll go somewhere else. NATO provides, Turkey being in NATO provides leverage that the U.S. should be using to get them to do the right thing. I, I just kind of want to take a step back. And just kind of say, like, what has happened? I mean, we have a president who's in the news every week for some seemingly inane reason, pissing off our allies and just doing a bunch of awful shit. And I feel like all of this is massively distracting from shit that is pretty important. Like, as I, as we've discussed in this very podcast, there were two bills. One, that wanted to get rid of the Department of Education. One, that wanted to get rid of the EPA. Those bills completely slipped by because our buffoonish president was too busy making an ass of himself. And we I were don't too know busy. why you keep bringing those bills up. Those bills are irrelevant. They haven't even gotten gone to committee. I keep bringing those bills up because they're an example of important shit that's been happening while our president is making a buffoon of himself and drawing all of our attention. Yes, but there are much more important bills that have actually but, passed. Like, for example, well, just this week, while Comey was testifying, the House passed the Financial Choice Act, Orwellian as always, 
which was essentially an 800-page bill that rolled back almost everything about Dodd-Frank, which was the bill that was passed after the 2008 crash. And uh, not even that. It went further than that. It puts the U.S. taxpayer back on the hook for bailouts uh, because if you don't provide a bailout, then there's nothing uh, that would... So part of Dodd-Frank was that if the if a bank needs a bailout to survive, the law uh, gives the... It requires that the bank that was bailed out as well as certain supporting financial institutions pay back the money that the government gave them, right? Uh, that right. gets repealed. So now what the Republicans are saying is, oh, well, so this takes us, we don't have to provide a bailout because Dodd-Frank required us to give a bailout. But yes, Dodd-Frank required us to give a bailout in certain situations, but it also required the taxpayers to be paid back. What this bill is essentially doing is saying, well, we don't have to do a bailout, but the, when push comes to shove and the financial institution fails, either millions of Americans lose retirement accounts, homes, uh, you know, CDs, the global economy goes to shit, or the government bails them out, like we did in 2008, except for now there's nothing that requires them to pay us back, just like there wasn't in 2008. Right? That passed while Comey was testifying. That passed the House. That's in the Senate now. Same thing with the Health Care Act. Right? The, the Republicans passed the Health Care Act. It went to the Senate. The Senate put together their panel to work on their health care deal. And right after that, Trump fired Comey, and we just quit talking about health care. The Senate's still debating it right now. They're still talking about putting massive cuts to Medicaid, massive cuts to, uh, you know, the insured rate. And yes, I agree, 100%. We're talking about bullshit like this Comey testimony instead of, uh, instead of that. And I think the thing that's important to recognize is that while Trump has an approval rating of 80 plus percent among Republicans and the people that voted for Trump will never turn on him over this Russia stuff. And Brett has proven that conclusively. I think, uh, the American healthcare act has an approval rating of about 20%. And among Republicans, it's only about 40 to 50%, right? That's the thing that you can actually move voters on. And that's the thing that actually affects people's lives, and we're not even talking about it. This Financial Choice Act, this uh, ability for banks to get richer, we Trump completely campaigned on the opposite side of that. Like, that's something you can run against, and we're not even talking about it. That's going to have real ramifications for our economy, and we're not even talking about it because we're talking about Comey testimonies. And, and, and by the way... I think we should be talking about the Paris Climate Agreement and the foreign policy implications and the implications to climate change and the fact that now there are states that are individually working with other countries to set, you know, uh, efficiency and energy usage standards instead of the federal government. I mean, that undermines the, the federal system, right? Those are things we could be talking about. And so I 100% agree with you that that Trump is stealing all the oxygen from the room. I mean, something that I definitely feel the need to say is even if like wet dream situation here, like totally not going to happen, but let's just go ahead and say that through all of this, Donald Trump gets impeached. All right. But let's just go ahead and say that through some miracle manages to happen. Then we have president Mike Pence, but even if Mike Pence somehow manages to get impeached, 
which is even less likely than Donald Trump getting impeached. We then have President Paul Ryan, you know? And that doesn't exactly help us very much either. No, I think it does. I I absolutely do think it does. I I don't like that argument that we would be better off with Trump than with Mike Pence. Completely disagree with that. I think, think number one... Sorry? You think that Pence is better? No, no, no. I think... Look, I'm from Indiana. I know Mike Pence. I think Pence is a awful person and i think he's a theocrat right but i think his ideas are also unpopular he wasn't popular in indiana the risk that he was going to get defeated by a democrat in the election if he had run for governor again was pretty high um his policies aren't popular right the policies that trump was pushing aren't popular but we're not talking about them because we're talking about his tweets and we're talking about russia if Pence was president, we wouldn't be talking about that. We would be talking about the fact that over 50% of Americans in every state in the country supported staying in the Paris Climate Agreement. We would be talking about the fact that the American Health Care Act has this 20% approval rating and that it would cut insurance for people that voted for Trump. We would be talking about that if we had Mike Pence as president. And by the way, Mike Pence wouldn't be pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement because he was upset about the handshake that he had with Emmanuel Macron, which was essentially the one of the leaks that came out this week, that Trump decided to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement because of that stupid handshake, because he's a fucking child, right? Like, those things wouldn't be happening. Like, say what you want about Mike Pence. He's an establishment guy who would not be saying dumb stuff. He wouldn't be attacking the mayor of London after a terrorist attack, he wouldn't be putting out statements to Iran saying you get what you deserve. He and he wouldn't be sucking all the oxygen up to the point where we couldn't talk about the things that are actually going to affect people. I maintain that Trump is helping the Republican Party because 2016 proved that if you make the election all about Trump, it doesn't work. Hillary Clinton didn't win making the election about Trump. I don't think Democrats will win in 2018 making the election all about Trump. I don't think most people care. I think it it mobilizes Republicans and independents don't care. I think what you gives you your best chance is going after them on these abysmal policies, going after them on 24 million Americans going to lose health coverage. Um, you know, we're 100,000 jobs. There are more jobs in solar than there are in coal now. And those are putting at risk because we're pulling out of the Paris climate agreement, right? So he's killing jobs by killing solar and wind, which are very popular actually in Republican States, uh, particularly because those tend to be like, you get the most energy distance density from solar and wind from wind in the Midwest, right? Places like Iowa, Kansas, and Oklahoma, stuff like that. They're investing in wind because they can generate a lot of it there. In, out in the West, like Montana, Nevada, Utah, stuff like that, they're investing in solar because they get lots of sunlight there. So you can go directly to them and say, hey, they're killing jobs by not investing in renewable energies, right? None of that's getting talked about. None of them are going to care. Republicans aren't going to care. They're going to come out to support Trump when instead they should be coming out to vote against uh, the, the American Health Care Act the same way 
that Americans came out to vote against Democrats because of the Affordable Care Act in 2010. All right. Well, if we shouldn't be talking about this, then there isn't much reason to go on. Well, that's why we got it out of the way. I mean, all right. This is the thing that sucks because you can't ignore it. Right? I mean, what he did is obstruction of justice, and he should be impeached about that. And he should be impeached for that, in my opinion. But even if it wasn't, you cannot ignore the Russia thing. You can't ignore his tweets because he's the president, and they have real effect. I mean, after London, right, or after the Manchester attack, the UK quit sharing intelligence information with the US because information was leaking. And the media, information leaked to the media, and they published the name of the attacker while the UK was still performing raids and arrests. And so they quit sharing intelligence with us. That's the kind of destabilization that this administration brings because uh, I don't think Trump himself was leaking that stuff. It doesn't matter. But his administration is in disarray and he doesn't have any control over it. And so this stuff leaks out. And on top of that, the stuff that he leaks out himself, right? I mean, he leaked Israeli intelligence to the Russians, right? And he leaked information about, um, what was the other thing? Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. But his administration, the White House completely full of leaks and infighting. And it is a disaster. Like, it's the biggest threat with Trump isn't any policy that he supports. It's his complete ineptitude. And so you end up having to cover that ineptitude. But meanwhile, the the Congress that is passing woefully unpopular legislation just doesn't get the time because you just there's only 24 hours in a day. So something that I find very interesting is just how much Trump is I don't know how much Trump hates his press corps. Or all the people that not press corps, um, what what I, I don't know exactly what to call them. Like Sean Spicer, um, what was that she devil's name again? Press secretaries. That's Sarah Huckabee Sanders. No, 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 no. no the she devil. Oh, I, um, yeah, his campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. Well, she's just an advisor. I don't think she's. Well, yeah, but all of them come out and like say things. When Trump has made some comment, a e, actually I'm gonna use eg here. Eg, when he fired uh, Comey, Spicer came out and said that the reason that he fired Comey was because he had gotten a letter from the assistant attorney general, who had then sent a letter to Jeff Sessions, and then Jeff Sessions passed on that letter to Trump. And Kellyanne Conway basically said the same thing. Then Trump appears on NBC. I think it's NBC, right? The Lester Holt NBC, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah he appears said something NBC different. and talk, talking to Lester Holt and says completely the opposite. Yeah. Like his ego is so fragile that it, you can't make it seem as if he took instructions from somebody else. Like, Seth Meyers made this very interesting joke on his thing, which would be to say, the best way to get Donald Trump to, to confess to murder is to say, there's no way that Donald Trump could have possibly committed that murder. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and the other thing I think that this completely distracts from is it completes us. It distracts from us from having the real conversation that this that this stuff isn't unique to Trump, right? I feel like every time one of these things comes up, whether it's about the climate agreement or whether it's about Muslim bans or whatever travel bans um, or these heinous budgets. There's all this want to push things at the executive, right? Uh, and the same thing happened to Obama, right? That's why it was called Obamacare. And I think the problem with it is, is like there were 22 Republican senators that sent Trump a letter asking him to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Like, it's not a Trump thing that we pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Like, that's a Republican thing. This budget that cuts money from after-school programs and Meals on Wheels and, and you know, all this stuff. Like, that's not Trump stuff. That's Republican proposals. The This Financial Choice Act, that's a Republican thing. And Absolutely. So we, we've made Trump this boogeyman, but it's like he's... Like these, none of these economic things that are woefully unpopular are actually coming from him. And so we can't have a, like, it's so frustrating because we can't have a real discussion about where the real unpopular policies are coming from and these detrimental policies, which is from the party and not just from Trump. Like he's just, he's such an easy target, but he's distracting from having the real conversation. I mean, the thing is, I don't really know what we can do with everybody else. Like Donald Trump, I, as a Californian, can vote in the next election to have this guy not be our president. However, when we have representatives like Louis Gomer or Mitch McConnell, I can't get rid of Mitch McConnell. I am not a citizen of Kentucky. I am not a—I'm not eligible to vote in Kentucky. I can't vote him out of office. So in terms of that, there's very little I, as a Democrat from California, can do. And then in, in addition to that, we have horrible gerrymandering, where we have it so that we have districts that are set up in ways that they're going to consistently elect whoever they're going to elect. If it's a consistently Democratic district, then they're always going to elect a Democrat. If it's a consistently Republican district, then they're going to elect Republicans. Well, and even if we didn't have gerrymandering, I mean, gerrymandering hurts hurts us from being able to get a majority if you're a Democrat. But the, the partisanship, I mean, over 80% of districts, gerrymandered or not, are considered safe, Republican or Democrat. Like, the key division is the thing that's going to be really difficult to, um, it's going to be really difficult to change. The fact that Republicans are increasingly, like, politics is no longer about a shared vision of how to help each other. It's about tribalism, right? And the Paris Climate Agreement, I think, was a perfect example of that because Americans in general supported the Paris Climate Agreement, as I said multiple times. There was only one demographic that didn't support the Paris Climate Agreement, and it was people that identified as conservative Republicans. Now, 40% of the, even them supported it, 
but it was the only one that had a minority support. And essentially where we are now is Republicans identify as rural, um, religious to some extent, uh, and white. And Democrats identify as urban, cosmopolitan, and non-white. I mean, there's obviously white Democrats, but... Diverse. Yeah. I was going to say, so, I'm pretty sure you're a Democrat, Paul. Yeah, I know. Well, because that's the thing, right? Like, we're still 62% white, so there has to be uh, a good proportion of white um, white Democrats. But, you know, diverse is the bigger thing, right? I mean, the majority of white people are Republican now, right? I mean, Trump won, especially men, he won, what, 65% of the white male vote? And 54% of the white female vote. So, I mean, those are the divisions that we have. And none of that ends up... Things like tax policy, healthcare policy, education policy gets completely cut out. Because the only things that we end up talking about and debating about are free speech on college campuses, political correctness, um, who's being lazy or not, and, you know, whatever. Welfare checks to brown people that don't deserve it, right? And, and immigration and terrorism. right? Those are the, that, That's what everything comes down to now. And... In the meantime, all the problems with corruption, money in politics, uh, education, the fact that the, the opioid epidemic, I mean, 60,000 people died from drug overdoses this year. Twice as many that died by guns, you know, 60% more than died by uh, um, car accidents. And like, what are we doing about it? We have the largest prison population in the world. What are we doing about it? Nothing. And that's why, at the end of the day, all the the NATO stuff and Trump tweeting and stuff like that, well, I actually agree with most of it, even if, like, I concede to, like, the worst-case scenario for most of it, you know, Trump withdraws from, like, NATO or something. It... It might be, you know, like the beginnings of like the destabilization of the world, but it, it isn't. And it, it would never like have the potential to be like right now. So that's that's my point, which is that worst case scenario, like it isn't like the biggest deal that we should be focusing on right now. And that's my final statement on the matter. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, I think I made it clear that I obviously fundamentally disagree. And I think, again, just like the Russia thing, I feel like it comes down to a false choice of these two extremes. I feel like what Trump, what's happening with Trump is that, you know, in regards to NATO, or let's say in regards to trade, is it ends up being a false choice, too, because he does, he signs, he backs away from the TPP and doesn't sign it. And... That ultimately 
gained him favor with that. You know, that's part of the tribalism and the nationalist part of him. And so there's, um, you know, people like Brett, right? Might I think Brett and I might agree that the TPP we didn't want it to be signed, right? Would you agree with that, Brett? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, agree too. Yes, exactly. But ultimately, I think the reasons we disagree are fundamentally 100% different, which is Brett would probably oppose it because he sees it as globalization and he doesn't like that. Is that correct? I mean, it depends on what kind, but I think that you'd probably have all economic considerations and like not a whole lot of cultural considerations into it. Yeah, exactly. My concerns about it are 100% economic. I'm not against trade in general. I I oppose the TPP because of what was in the TPP, not because it was trade and not because it was about globalization. I opposed it because, for example, Malaysia is a country with a track record of human trafficking and they were listed as a tier two or as a tier three human trafficking nation. And the United States isn't allowed to enter into, into legally mm-hmm. isn't allowed to enter into trade agreements with tier three human trafficking countries. So right before the TPP was finished, the State Department just said, oh, actually, we're just kidding. They're a tier two country now. now. And uh, I don't like that sucks because it was like they didn't actually do anything to fix their human trafficking problem. We just did that because we wanted a trade thing. I think the trade deal like the TPP could have been good if it had said, Hey, Malaysia, actually do something about your human trafficking problem. And we're going to use this as leverage. Or, you know, pointing to these different countries and saying, you have to start to set better standards for wages and worker protections and worker rights and organizations. But they didn't do any of that. Instead, there was bullshit in there like, you know, expanding America's draconian... um, pharmaceutical patent policies to all the countries involved, right? Making it harder to create generic bio, um, bioderivatives so that we can get cheap medicine to help people live, right? There was stuff in there that would extend copyright, the U.S. copyright policy to all these countries, making it more difficult for stuff to enter public domain, right? They were just corporate giveaways. That was a problem I had with it. So I would have supported a better deal but instead, because of this this Trumpism effect of you can only pick one side or the other, it's like, no, you had to 100% support the TPP as it was, or if you were against it, it's because you were anti-globalization and, and xenophobic and all that stuff. And it's like, no, there's a middle ground where it's like, I support trade, I just didn't support this trade deal. And we can't have any of those discussions right now. Because there's only two sides to have right now. And that really sucks. I mean, you're saying that about a lot of things. There, There's not only two sides to have in anything. There's no two sides to have in any debate. There's always nuances. And there's always things that are always immediately apparent when initially broaching the topic or trying to understand it. No, but that's what I'm saying, though. Yes, there are, like, we should be having the nuanced discussion. What I'm saying is we're at a place politically where we're not 
because we're just picking sides and we're opposing the other side. I'm not saying that's the right thing or that's the only possible way. I'm saying that's where we are and that's frustrating. We should be having there shouldn't be only two sides to one out to one policy. We should be having nuanced discussion. But instead it's like each side keeps moving further apart from each other because all of a sudden, just like we talked about last week, I think if you ask rank and file Republicans about Medicaid, if you ask rank and file Republicans about Medicaid and I, you know, you wouldn't actually get like most Republicans would be supportive of Medicaid and the government helping secure healthcare for people. But instead Republicans say, well, my party is against Medicaid and so therefore I'm against it. That that's the side that I have to take. And because we're only we're in a two party system, right? Yeah. Um I feel like we're talking about like a bunch of big issues and just like giving like brushing really quickly over them. We kinda like gone over the main topic for today, which was Trump. Yeah. So do, do you want to wrap it up? Yeah. Anyway, right. sort of concluding, we've talked today about Trump, and hopefully this is the last episode that's entirely Trump-centric. After this, um, we're going to, of course, play the second half of the interview. But before that, like our Facebook page, Fairly Political Podcast. If you have any questions you'd like to ask us, you can either leave it on our Facebook page, join our Facebook group, also Fairly Political Podcast, or finally send us an email at fairlypoliticalpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so I want to uh, kind of jump off of something that Amr brought up there, which was uh, talking about uh, civil rights. And my question has been, um, socially, what would protect civil rights in this theoretical uh, society where there's no state, uh, particularly minorities? Natural law. Okay. And the right to self-defense in case of you being attacked. But only then... I mean, I don't think that's fair because natural law is racism and tribalism. Mm, no, it isn't. That's a misconception. That's just because you do not understand the true natural law. That's uh, that true natural law is the, the laws of 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 what what is. I mean, that's everything for every action. There is an equal and opposite reaction. That's natural law. That. Uh, however, you um, shout into uh, uh, the woods, uh, it comes back at you. Uh, well, or uh, do unto others as you would have done to yourself, or love that's, that's, everybody that's as not... you love yourself. For example, that's natural law. So basically, I love myself so much I wouldn't kill myself. So I want, I do not kill anybody else. I I don't want that somebody steals from me, so I do not steal from anybody else. Such things. This is not true. I mean, that's... That's, that's not natural law. That's something that's decided by people. Do, as, do unto others as you do unto yourself is not something that's practiced in nature. Like, 
Uh, actually, it is. It is practiced in monkeys nature. Monkeys steal like from that. each other. And they... Uh, monkeys... Well, monkeys don't steal from each other. It's a community, you know? They they, they, they take from each other equally. It's, 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 it's a bad thing. Oh, you also cannot compare monkeys in a zoo to monkeys outside. Well, I mean, there are multiple species that are inherently tribal. And multiple species that are inherently... Um, uh, dominated by alphas. Yeah, I have no problem with the leaders. I have no problem with someone who who, who knows more and you, you can argue with the better roots, and I can follow that. So as long as I, I'm not I'm not like forced to follow him. Like uh, as long as I can always leave. As long as I can defend myself. As long as as what he says makes sense, and I can question him every decision he does. Yeah, of course. I have no problem with leaders. And as long as the leader does not harm anybody. Exactly. As long as he's in accordance with natural law. But but no. But my point is. Uh, I would say many, if not most, of the species that have a dominant alpha that typically comes from multiple uh, members of the tribe or of the pride or whatever it may be, they fight to the death until one of them wins. And then they not to the, the death. No. Which species fights to the death for the alpha? Name me one. Uh, okay. They fight. Don't say wolves. The alpha. They yeah, fight to a, be I was going to say giraffes. And it's, it's never giraffes. Baboons. They don't fight to the death. No okay, is... but uh, besides they these points, them. guys, you just um, give me a second. Say that uh, humans are like animals now, right? And that's not the case. Well, you we guys are not talking the... about humans being animals. We're talking about natural law. Exactly. But uh, you compare animals to humans at the moment, right? Because we're talking about nature. Because nat because natural comes from nature. Wait, if humans are animals, what are they? Are they something else? Well, I think the argument would be that we're higher evolved than other animals. So, yeah, we don't need to fight physically to the elector leader. So to someone, we, we can argue, you know, we can talk amongst ourselves and find out who's more suited. But I, for example, not... I'm not, I know I'm not suited to be a leader. Then... I, 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 I this, so I, I would not vote for being one. And many people think like that, but there are persons who are capable of it, you know. I've, I've known several human beings who, who, who are, have, have the talent for leadership. But then that's, that's not something natural from law. Nature. It's, a, it's an intellectual human construct. What's an, what's an that's not an intellectual human construct. It is natural law. That's not how natural law works. Tell me one species who does uh, who do unto others as as uh, they would have done to yourself. What other species kills for the pure pleasure of of of, of killing without any purpose or whatsoever? Maybe they want to eat the other one. Ah, see, but then it's something else, you know. That 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 is survival and species. No in human, human don't necessarily kill like for the sake of killing either. either. They kill for territory. They kill for resources. They kill for fame or recognition within the community. This yeah, is all things that happen in the animal world. So, so this article says that uh, this is the practice of infanticide. Uh, it's rarely observed in cetaceans, the groups that includes dolphins, whales, and porpoises. It has been witnessed twice in bottlenose dolphins. 
They submerge the calf in water in order to drown it. Um, but where's the says, video? I can't see it. It's about halfway down the article. It says, scientists believe males commit, commit infanticide to free females for mating. If a female dolphin has a young calf to provide for, she will be unable, un, unavailable for several years. But if she loses her calf shortly after birth, she may be ready to mate again within months. Why, why is this so important? Well, we're talking about natural law. Again, I think, well, you missed a lot of it at the beginning, but um, their contention That's weird. is... weird. I have flesh, but it doesn't play. Their contention is that uh, people have a shared set of values that if you eliminated the state, the shared set of values would uh, come through and we wouldn't have things like war and so forth. Okay. Um, I, mean, I have another question for this. Uh, obviously, like, not everyone is going to like fully understand the trivium. There's like different levels of just why not uh, like patience and I mean like try getting the average American or I guess even German to like sit in a room and like read ancient philosophy. They probably won't want to. The average person. Yeah, so, that's like, true. Sadly, chance of like understanding this is going to be like a lot lower. Um. So it has to be a new yeah, generation. That would be a problem if if you can't get like people to equally understand like a morality. How are you going to get cohesion then? Yeah, I agree. That's a huge problem. But but it would start by the rights of of just uh, creating a state. So these people who are willing to create a new generation, people are not capable of understanding this. They have the right to gather and form such a thing. But this right does not exist anywhere in the world so uh i want to get back to the point that i had though a second ago and the question i had which is what would protect civil rights uh particularly for minority groups uh care well, that you'd probably have in the anarchist society a bunch of like minorities basically like moving to areas where they're the majority so it would basically lead to tribalism probably maybe yeah it could have yeah could be so you would just have segregation you just um, have segregated communities. It's not segregation when yeah, people choose to live with other people. Voluntarily moving. That's yeah. not segregation. Your your use of well, words is very strange to me. No, I mean it could be self segregation. Americans are very sensitive about these things. No, it could be self segregation. That's not segregation, really. That's if I choose to okay. live somewhere else with yeah, other people. If I feel uncomfortable moving in in a place, and I move somewhere else. And I self-segregate. That isn't a bad thing, then. That's fine. Yeah, but it's that's not really. I I, I just choose to do that. I mean, I'm not segregated, or forced or anything. It's just of my own free will. No, I I agree. Like, but that's still you still have, like I think you're taking the term segregation. I think you're taking it wrong in terms of the legal sense. I'm saying segregation is just simply that you have communities that are. They don't mix. They're they're homogenous. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that like an anarchist like I don't know utopia could be multicultural at all? Do you think it has the potential to be multicultural? Oh yes, definitely. Uh, uh, absolutely. 
when you think um, it depends on morality, love and care, there would not be such things as races, as uh, sexualities and all the things that actually humanity makes up to separate one from each other, right? These things would not exist there in this utopia. Would that also include class? What do you mean? Yeah. What? What? What is class? I mean, people decide that they are they are more worth than others. Does it make sense? Is it rational? Well, society. How, how, what, what? Yeah, but I don't care about society at this point. I'm just asking about the fundamental meanings of 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 of, of the things. Is it is it rational for someone to say I'm more worth than you? Is it rational? No, I don't think so. But I think people yeah, do. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but but, but then, well, well, <laughs> whatever reason people accept it, but I don't. <laughs> But Wait, what I'm I mean, saying what's is, the context you're saying that you have more worth than another person. Like if you're on a job site, and your job is like be a pickaxe wielder, and there's someone with no arms, then you're probably going to say, "Yeah, I'm more valuable than you in this situation." But doesn't mean that there is more worth. Someone without arms, uh, and I, I know that uh, I've um, known uh, some disabled people. They develop insane skills with their minds. And perspectives. What if so, they don't uh, have any person with their minds, though? Well, then, then they need to be looked for, looked out for, and taken care of, and so, just yeah, made to make sure that they have a good life. Sorry. You know, like, where does their worth come from then? If there's like, if you have someone with like very low or like little practical worth. In society, well, it, so that doesn't like matter. I mean, I care smart. about I care about people, you know. Just because oh, so someone has a like mental disability and uh, a physical disability doesn't make him less worth. He makes him a person that needs more care and more yeah, attention. Where does the worth come from? What do, what do you mean? Where does the worth come from? If, You're talking to someone who doesn't like care about the worth. Use. In general, I mean, I, I'm not more worth more than a, a mentally and physically disabled person. Uh, and this physically and mentally disabled person is not worth less. It's just a being that sadly uh, has, well, it needs to be, look, be looked out for and taken care of and made sure that he has a happy uh, and, and good life. But if you don't like how many like religious reasons, then why would I? I I I don't believe in religion. Religion, I'm not religious. Religion is bullshit for me. But to have care and love, you don't need to be religious. Yeah, but exactly. once again, like, what's telling you that like someone is worth more than another person? If, like, love tells me the love for myself uh, it means, and the understanding of myself translates to the understanding and empathy to other people. So I can, uh, my, my, so my, this is morality for me. I, I cannot, just because he, he is, is disabled in such a way that he, uh, that means that he has no right to live. He just, just means that he needs to be taken care of and made sure that he has a happy life. And because, because it's still a person to love and, and to receive love from, you know? Okay. Yeah, I don't need religion so for that. It, it goes beyond being like, I, I need self-knowledge for that, and that's the big thing. Self-knowledge, and and by that definition, also self-love, because knowledge, uh, newsbreak, uh, ultimately leads is love. Truth leads to no love, 
but we recover now spirituality okay, and what, uh, want to do that. But I don't need I don't need religion for that. I, I you know, what, what do you mean? What was the question? What, what's what's the purpose of love? What's, what's the purpose of what's the purpose of knowledge? Um, it's to make uh, someone more survivable, hopefully. Love can do that too. The knowledge well. Yeah, well, exactly. also knowledge is not, yeah. not knowledge doesn't uh, doesn't strictly just mean survivability. Knowledge also means the understanding. Okay, and yeah, once again, what's the purpose of that understanding? Uh, the purpose of understanding is is, is evol personal evolution, and through that communal yeah. evolution. So you had some some creature like a lizard with zero love, and later, like a couple billion years later, one of its ancestors turned into something. That had like some form of empathy. That wasn't because every single being has an inherent right to empathy. It's just because in certain instances, love is useful for survival. Well, and the more uh, knowledge is prominent in a species, the more love is useful for a species. Okay, love and knowledge are intertwined. Something like a, that means like too much love. Is there any well, limit? No. Ultimately, there is no limit to knowledge or love. There are only so things that cannot yet be understood. That had like the highest amount of love that you could ever have. And you had another group with a complete absence of love. See, like lizard people or something. And lizard people were just killing the shit out of loving, gushy people. Well, and then I would have to defend ourselves against these people who are physically aggressors. But they have the maximum amount of love, which means that they are... The lizard people? I mean, just because I love doesn't mean I don't defend myself. The, the, the people who have the maximum amount of love. What I'm saying is that you need a balance of love because if you have too much love, then, oh, I love this frog, I love this tree, I love these lizard men who want to kill me. It well, it's really still... Helpful, then. That's not rational. Now that now sanity comes And uh, you intertwine uh, this love with naivety, and these exactly. are uh, two uh, different pairs of shoes. Plus, if I love myself, I also do love to defend myself and to protect me and my family. That is also love. So I would not just uh, uh, let the lizard people kill me because I love myself and my family and my tribe or community so much that I want to defend myself, my life, and my community. It would be regret. It would be a pity to 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 have to uh, come to these actions of self-defense in such a severe manner. Yes, that that's true. That would be a pity. That that would lead to that severe form of of defense. But still, it it would be just rational to to defend my the, my community again, or other communities. Love, you're using love as a utility for your survivability. So, yeah, but I'm not losing rationality the same way. What are you using rationality for then? Well, well existing, not for, not falling into doctrine traps, not so being fooled. Survivability. Yes. <laughs> okay, so like, what's the reason then to like extend love to someone if they have like no practical function? Because you haven't really given me any. Well, where you put in love, you're in love. And I know this. I've, I've worked at a retirement home. I've, I've worked with people mentally and physically disabled. And yes, you, you get love back, and it's very valuable. And you get a, a very pure form of love back that makes you feel energized and, and really good. 
It's really very, very valuable love you get from these people. But once again, like you're only giving examples of where like love fulfills like a practical purpose. Like I'm sure you can agree that like sometimes love in certain areas doesn't fulfill a practical purpose for like the survival of someone. Which area? Hold For example, in, this, the in the self-defense area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's come back. Let's go back to bear. This this lizard people example is perfect <laughs> to explain why love, even there, is is important for survival, because then the love, uh, the 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 principle of love and care, makes sure that this extreme measure of self-defense is not a standard behavior to any other form of aggression. It still makes sure that I apply. A physical aggression only where it's needed, because the principle of love and care makes sure that I don't apply physical physical defense in 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 a in a way that it's not uh, um, meant to be. So even then, love is 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 important practically. And by meant to be, you mean like what's not like practical? Well, if someone just just looks at me funny and I and I I would I would not do that. I still and I I, I hit him with my fist. This would this would be like uh, uh, self defense not applied as the way it should be. Yeah, we basically just went in a circle. Um, but you, you so want to find a way for me to admit that, that love is uh, in in one situation love is not useful, and I can give you an, in any situation a reason why love is useful there. Yeah, but you you can't put it in all places, basically. Yeah, of course I can. That's and the, that's the only the... places the only places where you should put love is where it is survivable, right? No. No. So when it goes beyond survivalism, what is the reason for extending love? Care. Because I care about uh, myself and, and I care about my about others. Okay. Um. Where do, what is care? Like, what? What is this? Well, care is actually the motivation to get involved. And okay, if yeah, someone doesn't have again, that, that motivation, he's a lizard man. <laughs> no, not necessarily. And if someone has doesn't have that, and most people don't have care, uh, they 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 are equal to some lizard people that they have an imbalance in their brain. questions well so i guess my question is to get back to my original question about what would protect certain rights um now i obviously understand that if we talk about separate societies so let's say we grant that separate societies maybe they would self-segregate maybe the enlightened would mean that they wouldn't among certain lines right uh we also talked about class my point was that societies throughout history, before what we would consider a modern government existed, have always had social, economic, whatever, class systems, right? How would you protect against that in a community? Is that rational? No, I don't think it is, but that's not my point. Yeah. So why would do uh, with, with, with people and with the right balance and mindset? Uh, why would they? Why, why would they do that? Well, because this gets to the point that you and Brett were debating earlier about a person who is disabled and doesn't offer, for, for example, doesn't offer as much to society. 
No, he doesn't get to that point because a person, a part of the community who is mentally and physical, or no, just one or the other, disabled, is still a person that needs to be taken care of and and, and cared for, you know, and loved. So and and loved back. Yeah, but that's you don't have, like a compelling reason why. Why? Because I I, I earn what I, I reap what I I saw. And you you cannot know that if you have not worked with, and it's a good example because I've worked with mentally and physically disabled people, and the love you get back from them is very pure, and it's it's very you feel it. It's something almost yeah, it is tangible. It's 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 it's, it's, a, it's something that is very valuable. And if you don't uh, don't understand this, then you haven't experienced it. So I think it's fair to say that East Grimm doesn't believe in a social hierarchy. Uh, Brett, do you believe in a social hierarchy? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely like different levels of people's ability. Uh, also, a social hierarchy, what do you mean by that? Because you throw in words and I always have to ask what you mean. Because you say, you, you assume that I, have, I am on this point when you do not explain what you mean. Well, okay. So what I mean by social hierarchy is, maybe hierarchy isn't the right word for it. But there is a certain spectrum of um societal worth and therefore unequal treatment unequal allocation of yeah. resources that reflects that uh, resources cannot be uh, um allocated equally because some people need more i mean more of this and less of that you know right but what i'm arguing what okay so what i'm saying is a social yeah. hierarchy that's based on an un- un- allocation of resources not based on need but productivity or worth. Yeah, that, that that doesn't make sense. It's not rational. Uh, basically, you... this community would start with everybody who is born has the equal worth and the equal rights. So there would be never um, such things like class or something because nobody would even dare to say I am better or more worth than another being. Would you agree with that, Brett? Okay. Um, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I think the problem with what we see today is that the problem with democracy we see today is that there's a lot of apathy when it comes to voters and people who just have, like, zero interest in, like, being, like, responsible and like being like moral and being productive members of society so people instead of voting on like actual policy issues they just vote on like the person's hair or like what they look like like it's been proven that american at least americans they vote like mainly based on the appearances of the presidential candidates rather than their like actual policies and I mean, I'll, I'll bring up a quote from, like, Winston Churchill, like, um, <laughs> the best argument against democracy is a conversation with the average voter. So does that mean that we should, like, completely eliminate, like, the right to vote? Probably not. But what it does mean is that we should recognize, like, a difference in, like, personal character and a difference in um, just natural ability in people. And the more authority we give people and the more responsibility we give people with more natural ability and more 
higher character, the better the society is going to be. You assume that um, it's funny. You're an American, right? Yep. So and you, you you this is funny to me as a German because from the outside I see and, and we have even talked about this in your last podcast uh, or you boarded it a little. You believe that voters actually um, change something when Trump votes not by majority. So well, does that's it still a hold quirk of the American system. So I wouldn't get too crazy. yeah, but but you are like the prime example of democracy, aren't you? I mean, you are the ones who fight for democracy around the world, who democratize countries, aren't you? So this is so this is this is, this is uh, funny to me when when an American says to me that, uh, says generally that that voters vote on on whatever hair or something when when the majority vote doesn't even win in your country. Yeah. And I mean, if people are going to vote like for poor reasons, then it's probably ideal. It may not be like morally just, but it's ideal for the survival of the state if like their wishes aren't met. Well, I, I wonder if wishes are not met. Hmm? Who decides which wishes are not met? Well, if someone votes for a president based on like how they look, then ideally in a system that promotes like the survival and like the prosperity of a state, it's not going to count like that vote as much. That's not practically possible, but that would be ideal. But what makes what makes people want to vote rather for a haircut than uh, a personality? What drives them to think that way? Sheer laziness and apathy. Mainly. But what what makes them come to this mindset? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it would vary like case to case basis. But um, maybe it's just a matter of like mental capacity. But what? Who? 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 Um guides the people to their mental capacities. I mean, who helps them form their mental capacities? Um, usually no one after like high school. When people graduate, they're out on their own. They just But before that? Through. Before that? The parents? And? Just the parents. It's just the parents who like uh, uh, help and... Uh, The people like create their mental capacity. Okay. I mean, my, my point is the schools do. Getting at, but like once again, like people don't have like equal mental capacities, and yeah. it's not like equally easy to like bring people to like the same capacities. Well, but it's it's easier to dumb people down than raise people up. Yeah, so when you have what's done. from like in the U.S. where it's easier to dumb people down, they're going to choose over and over and over again to dump people yeah, down. Yeah, my point is that, that the government uh, wants people to be dumped down and vote for, vote for a haircut because these people are just uh, controllable. I mean, if I play devil's advocate here and my goal would be to, to control a, a country, I, I wouldn't want them smart at all. 
I wouldn't want I would want them dumped down as much as possible so I can tell them whatever I want and get off with it. Just do whatever I want. And preferably, I don't even want myself to be publicly uh, noticed on top because then I could, I would publicly take the blame. I would want some figure before me who takes the blame and fall uh, should, just for precaution. If I wanted to play devil's advocate here and wanted to control a country, I, well, I would want stupid citizens and someone before me who takes the fall if it doesn't work and uh, people who vote for a haircut. So- <laughs> So what what makes you playing devil's advocate on my side? Uh, well, I guess this is really devil's advocate, but what makes you think that that's something inherent to the concept of a system of government uh, and not relative to a person? Because you mentioned earlier that you have no problem with leaders of a community. You don't think a leader would do the same thing? Of course not. We are talking about in this example. You, you always try to push me in a corner. I don't like it. But let's let's go back to the example we we uh, we well, created I'm earlier. Challenging your well, arguments. I, that's not the same as pushing. No, not you. Didn't, yeah, that's a difference. It's a big difference. You always drive me in the same corner. But let's go back to the example we made earlier with the community of sane people. A, a sane-minded leader wouldn't do that. He would rather step down than 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 uh, lead the people wrong. Because they were a sane leader asks for things if he doesn't know the answer. A saying people delegates research to and lets himself be advised correctly for to make the right move or to appoint the right move or even call for a vote if he doesn't know the answer. Okay, um, I mean it all sounds nice, but like if there's no practical way of like achieving it, then but there's no right to form a, a, an own civilization. There is no right to form an own society. In Germany, you can do it. In America, you can do it. You can form a, a country on your own. You're not allowed to. Okay, but so let's say you have the right to do it. And Instagram and Eve, you go create your own society full of like-minded people that have the same values, believe in the same ob- objective truths and morality, and reason and logic. And you all form your society. And everything's great in your society. Maybe you figured it out. That's great. What certainly that would also allow another society to be made by someone who doesn't share those values. Right. Which they already exist, of course, because sure, they the majority. Exist. They exist. I mean, I'm not like arguing all societies, all countries, I'm not arguing that they don't exist. I'm just saying that. So theoretically, there would be another system, another society, another community that doesn't share those values, doesn't share those same objective truths. Correct? It already exists, so what's your point? So my point is, what's the difference from today? I mean, you would have your community, that's nice, but other communities wouldn't have those same values. Other communities and those communities wouldn't allow their people that are being, let's say, that are low on the social hierarchy or the social spectrum. They wouldn't allow them to leave, to come to your community where they would think like you. So my point is, how do you progress? How do you progress, well, you the, common, how do you progress the common welfare of humanity if you just say, here's this social society of like-minded okay, first, people that believe please, in the same stop concepts. stop asking me for a golden key. I cannot give you a skeleton key to, to the world's mankind enlightenment, enlightenment. And you cannot, too. So do not ask this I'm for not, me. Because you do, you're doing I, this. I, I, yeah, you, 
and generally you, your you whole ask system it. your your whole idea like lies on that 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 people like need to be like at a certain level of like exactly learning and of like free thinking exactly if that yeah. isn't possible though like that you need a golden key to get there that's the problem well, well, there is no golden key at the moment because it, it, it is, is impossible because it is forbidden. And who forbids it? Who for, who forbids free no, but, development? But we're, but we're assuming it's not forbidden. Let's just assume it's not forbidden. Let's assume that there is an undiscovered island on this world and it's up for grabs. And they say, hey, Eastergrim and Eve, you can have this island. Create your society. Right? My point is, so I have twofold. One, how does that help the rest of society? Now, you said that you don't have a golden key for humanity. Okay, I accept that. That's fair. Nobody does. My second question is this. Three generations into your society, everybody that comes to the island uh, in the Eastergrim and Eve society, they all share your same beliefs and objective reality, objective truth, objective morality, right? Three generations in, 20% of the population doesn't share that belief. Where, where do they go? Where why they why would they? Why do you make it up? On what on what foundation do you make it up? Well, what foundation do you have that they wouldn't? Well, what foundation do you have that they would? You're just creating a scenario without... Yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, we, you cannot create something without a foundation. No. It doesn't exist. We have to see. But I, I, right. I, I don't think that they would just change their, their views from rationality to irrationality, from care and love to to being basically imbalanced. Brain imbalance comes from indoctrination and and uh, and uh, education, uh, wrong education, and obscuration of truth. Well, there are certain conditions that are psychological and physiological. So, what do you do with those people in your society? Well, you would see that those people would not um, manifest in my society. Well, it's physiological. You don't control that unless you have gene editing. Well, that's not f entirely physiological. No, I mean, you don't from 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 parents, uh, the children, and we go into genetics here, um, get the potential of their parents at the time they are basically conceived. You know. So uh, we we know now from genetics, our genes are not st we are not stuck with our genes. Our genes change over time. Whatever we learn, whatever we we we, 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 we our, whatever self evolution we go through mentally, also is reflected in our genes. That's a scientific fact, by the way. It's not spiritual bullshit or whatever. So by by this definition, um, this these meant physically brain imbalanced people would not be born in a society with with sane people. Uh, well, okay, but yeah, uh, but you certainly understand the concept of recessive genes and certainly understand that certain psychological afflictions aren't necessarily genetic. No, but they are. Yeah, but, but in a family, they're not genetic, but now you drive the other way. So you still want to push me into that corner. So uh, people would not have depressions in a society with abundance and care and love. What what makes you depressive with that? Well, you could be you could be depressive for you could be empathetic for other countries where people do not have that. Yes, that's true. You could you could care so much so you would would basically feel for the other people in other countries who who do not uh, live in an abundance of love and care. But what other depressions would arise from a, such a community? 
as we made it up, like even in Zugram's Island. Well, I mean, I don't think that I don't personally look. I'm not a psychologist. I don't personally know all. I don't think anybody knows all the factors that go into a particular person experiencing depression. But we have significant evidence that there are people who are born to perfectly lovely parents who instilled certain. Uh, give me an example. Like and they are depressed. Give me an example. No, no, no. That, that's not the case. Give me an example. Uh, okay, I'll exactly give you an example. Me. I'll give you an example. Depression me. I was born into a perfectly re- reasonable family. Uh, they gave me lots of love, gave me lots of attention. But yeah, you experience depression as you grow up. Like that happens. What? 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 what, what because you at, at the environment of your school. Because of the uh, environment of your friends, of the environment of your um, um, workplace, or because you can't achieve the goals you wanted for yourself, that also could make depressions. I love you, babe. No, okay, okay. My depression started when both my parents died. But that's a natural depression then, because you need to grieve for loss, right? Sure. And you need to but that exists, does it not? I mean, people die. Yeah. Yeah, but you didn't receive, at this point, you did not receive enough care. And this is something that is a, a community responsibility. When you, so in, in, in a community like Ethan Isagrim's Island, when people die naturally, I mean, sure. death is just part of life, sure. then they would re- receive enough care and love. In a, yeah. in a society hey. where, where care is the foundation, excuse me, and natural law, then people would not suffer from lasting depression. They, they, they would not suffer from depression. They would be really sad, you know, when someone dies. Loss, it's, I mean, it's a part of it. And no, but, that's but great. They would I, not... That's great. But yeah. I think, again, I, and I just, I keep going back to this. I really feel like you have this really idealistic version of just like, no, we would create the society and we would solve all the problems. And this society that exists yeah, but it would is solve like the problems. It, it it is not allowed to exist. That that is exactly why it is not allowed to exist. So you would literally because problems problems so make people controllable. It, like, what's the point of it? Like popping up? Like, could it even ever pop up? It's so easily suppressed. Well, I hope so that it would, there would be a chance in the future. Well, yeah, but I mean, you can hope all you want, but if the yeah. government is like preventing that to happen. And yeah, but you, you, hope you cannot anything. I mean, can you give like an example in history where like people have like gone into like this framework and it's been successful? In hiding, <laughs> hermeticists yeah have they have practiced that in hiding, I mean, and like hit their like teachings that. with uh, Christianity undertones so they don't get got hunted. But yeah, hermetics, hermetics did that. Well, I don't think they're around today. Like most, all all the world is covered by like pretty traditional nation states. Yeah. So that would that would seem to suggest that like your your plan, it might be practical, but it isn't like the the most ideal in terms of like the survival of a state or like a group of people. Like, but it, it is it is actually you have to differentiate between it is the most ideal situation but it's it's just not at the moment feasible for survival because of the majority of of an obscurist indoctrinated agenda and governments around the world but that's the reason forgive me but i think this i just 
it's too easy to sit there and say that in our society, people just wouldn't ever get depressed. People wouldn't suffer from mental illness, mental afflictions. It's not easy if you recognize we what depressions are. This would not exist. We say the community would care so much to help these people through their grief, through their depressions, and through their bad times. It would not last. They would just go away like, like, a, like a flu. It would not last long. I think that's awfully idealistic. And I also think it's awfully idealistic to believe that you wouldn't three, four generations, even second generation, into your society, so, uh, so, uh, some person, some group of people would be born that would not share your same concept of moral How would they get the notion? Moral. Why, why because, would they Because you promoted you... free thought. Yeah, yes, exactly. Now, now imagine, imagine the community where a child is born and it feels well, it feels healthy, it feels loved. It does not have the reason to hate or betray that, right? Okay, so so here's so let's go to the next scenario, which is, what does your society do when it doesn't have an overabundance of resources? Well, you trade. Every society trades. But we've already established you you're not good at ten people in a lifeboat, and you only have enough food for nine people. No, no, no. Let's not even go to the hypothetical. No, let's not even go to the hypothetical. You are. We've already established. That this is just your society because you're not going to force the rest of the world to join your society, right? So you go jo create your own society, East Agreement, Eve Island. You don't have all the resources you need because you live on an island, unsurprisingly. All the nations of the world say, these people over here, they're crazy. I don't like their idea. They don't believe in the state. We're all nation states. We're not going to trade with them. Yeah, so this would be a, a grave aggression. Well, so... What do you want? What do you, you want me to admit that, that I'm a minority? I already know that. You want me to admit yes. that people who think like me are a minority? I already know that. What's the point? What's the point of your what's uh, of your argument? The point of my argument is so. This gets to my next question, which is, you talked about because we talked earlier last week, and you talked about how you don't vote, and you don't. Well, yeah. Okay. You don't vote because you see it as an endorsement of the current system, right? Uh, no, I see explicitly your use of words is really. Uh, I said I do not vote because voting is a contract that you participate in, into a, a, a system that uh, you agree with the outcome, regardless if the outcome is your vote or not. By voting, I agree that I am fine with the outcome, even though the outcome is not met with my vote. That's the reason I do not vote. Because I, is, uh, I think you sign that contract by living in the society, not by voting. I mean, you have to be okay with the outcome of an election, even if you don't vote, or else what's the alternative? You re revolt, leave the country? Well, I, if I could, I would. But I'm not free to do so. Okay. So, but... My point is that it's not the voting. Like, the the voting, the vote isn't the signature of the contract. You living in a is. society is the signature of the contract. From the votes, there comes the governmental rules. At least that's in theory. I but mean, you're, I vote you're already her. abiding by the governmental rules by living in the yeah, society. Not, not because, yeah, because not because I want to, because I'm not free. 
Because oh, uh, there is no other choice. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Right. We pay our taxes, and uh, because because we have to, because then we we, sure. we, we get disowned if we don't do that. We get forcefully uh, stolen our stuff when if we don't do that. So we have to abide by the rules, but not because I want to. That's then now you come to the basis of understanding at least at last that there is no freedom in a governmental structure. Do you want to pay taxes? Are you, are you telling me you want to pay taxes? Even though I hope, I really hope, sincerely hope, you know the nature of taxes and what they're used for. And, and you, you really want to pay taxes? I want to provide for the common good. My opinion is taxes But do you want to do that voluntarily? World, my opinion oh, is, that, yes, voluntarily. My opinion is, Taxation yes, exactly. is the but it best does not happen voluntarily. Nobody comes and asks you every month, do you want to pay? And you say yes. That does not happen. They just take it from you. And that's basically, part of the social contract. That's, that's part of the social that contract. If I didn't believe in the social contract, I could not pay my taxes. Now, well, if so, that if would be in violation a, of the contract, and they could come and arrest me for that. Just living in a state doesn't mean I, 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 that's that's an agreement by living in it. Because if if that would be the case, you basically indirectly tell me I have to kill myself to disagree, or I move out, which I can't. Or you have to break the law. Yeah. No, I, yeah, but this 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 is uh, this is not natural rational because because it would be damaging to myself and the ones I love. Uh, if yes. someone would come to me, in like in like in the society we created, hypothetically, that is uh, our society that we would what we that we would love to live in. If someone comes and says, "Yeah, we need more help for this and more help for that because of this and this reason," and uh, yeah, I'm totally up for it. If they were, if 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 money would exist in such a society, and and someone say, "Yeah, we need, we need money for this and that," and yeah, I please, yeah, sure, I can give you what I can, what can, what I can. No, okay. I mean we already we already do that in the current state. I mean, but we, but we give so, money for. But but so this was gets to the point of my what my question was, which is, um, if you don't vote, so you're right under the current laws, you don't have the right to create your own society, self governing society within a nation state, right? So, but that will never change. If you don't vote, you see what I'm saying. If the rules of the nation states that exist don't change, well, if that's up for that, votes, then it will never change. Well, if if if, if that's up for votes, I, I would consider supporting the the party. But I would still, I, I don't know, that would not come up for vote in a governmental structure. That's not even worth well, a hypothetical play. It would, it would not come up for vote. But here's my question. So this, here's my question: Is this a self fulfilling pr prophecy, or? Do you expect a revolution to fight for these rights? I would hope for for more people to uh, be more educated, and uh, so it would be general knowledge, you know, what the government forbids, and that freedom doesn't exist in a governmental structure in a governmental society. I would hope for more knowledge. About that, yeah, definitely. But and the, I would. In, in America, it's 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 a lot nicer because in America you can actually, in some states, defend yourself. I mean, you can have guns and such. In Germany, I cannot even do that. I'm not even free to defend myself here. You know, that's I'm 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 living in a slave society. I'm not even free to defend myself. Uh, I don't know, how, explain how that's different than what's in the United States. 
I mean, it's certainly legal to own a gun in certain circumstances in Germany. Yep. Yeah. No, it's not. Uh, Germany has a complete ban on guns. Well, the laws on, on, on guns are ridiculous, and you cannot have just a gun. The, 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 the weapons license is, is ridiculous to get, and you're registered, and, and you are, um, what is it called? Um, you have to, to do regular... There are, there are a lot of policies regarding that. Sure. You, you cannot just simply make it, like in America. It's not possible. Well, even most states in America are... I mean... So all federal gun sales un- or gun dealers also have to do background checks in order to buy a gun. Certain no, that's not that's, that's not still not how it is in Germany. Without a proper reason, you can have you cannot have a gun license. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. It's more strict there. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that. Uh, but okay. Well, I don't want to get into gun debate because I could go into a whole bunch of things. It doesn't matter. So I think we can wrap up. Uh, the only other thing I was going to ask was. Would there ever be a scenario in which you would vote? No, probably not. I could be wrong. I don't know what the future holds in detail. Oh. Imagine probably if you're not. an American, okay, and you have one candidate. Definitely not. I'm going to take... Wait, wait one second. <laughs> Definitely not. Because <laughs> your democratic system sucks. And you yeah, all agree on that too. Imagine if so. you had one candidate that said, I'm going to take away all guns. And you had another candidate that said, I'm going to keep all guns. But well, it doesn't matter. It, it it doesn't matter what I would anyway. So because because of your representatives. So no, definitely not. Regardless of the topic, if it was an American, I would definitely not vote. Regardless of what it is. Because you don't think that it can make any impact at all. Yes, because it is. <laughs> did, did it make any impact so far? I mean, did 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 you make an impact? Um, I mean it. It has made an impact. It has made like an ideal impact, but. I would definitely say that it has made an impact. For me, I believe that you believe that, and I, I believe uh, this is an illusion. So we are now clashing beliefs, which I'm totally fine. What you believe in, you you also you 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 also believe. I mean, you already admitted it's a belief. So we have just have different opinions. So if Hillary Clinton got elected, do you think there would be like more gun gun ownership or less? Oh, actually, it's an interesting question. Uh, regardless of president, I think that there would be, uh, they would uh, drive the same uh, direction sooner or later. Well, actually, Cause, cause, yeah, cause... the speed would actually be, be clear. Historically speaking, gun sales have gone up under Democratic presidents, particularly yeah. Obama. <laughs> so. but, but the, I guess the, the problem the problem is every candidate and party um, makes uh, lots of promises before they get elected and after they get elected for these reasons with their promise they do opposite things and that's always so that has always been so at least here i think uh, it's the same for in your country i can't uh, believe that there is another um way of that things going the, the all parties make promises what they want to do and what they want to do better and after they are being elected um, it, it uh, they do complete opposite or different things from what they said before so they like basically they like to get elected but why so do you that's think a, a reason in voting i mean i agree that like politicians don't really follow through what, what they've been told but like, if Hillary Clinton had won, I would have gotten, like, probably 100% of what I would 
didn't want. And if Trump hasn't done anything, I would at least get like 0%, which is a hell of a lot better than 100% in the opposite direction I don't want the country to go in. Uh, okay, I don't understand why you think Hillary Clinton would be able to do 100% of what she wanted. But... Just an analogy. Even if Hillary Clinton moves like 10%, I mean, I don't think it's... It's not impossible to argue that like Trump has made an impact. Um, he Trump, makes a huge impact. Desirable for his his voters. I mean, he's gotten rid of like he's deported a crap ton of illegal immigrants with criminal backgrounds. He's, mm. um, Only after he expanded the definition of what criminal meant, but he's cut down on refugees. That's changed, though. Yeah, um, that changed. But still, like, even if it's, like, a slower, like, delaying process, I still view that as valuable for, like, freedom of people. But I, regardless, this is a tangent. I wanted to, to get to the point, which was, um, what, so you mentioned that politicians never follow through with the things they say, or sometimes they go backwards. Uh, what do you think would be different? How do you think that would be different in the Instagram and Eve island? Are you asking me? Either one of you. What do you mean, politicians? And, and we haven't uh, heard from Eve a whole lot. No, I mean, even if there was direct democracy, right? Well, in in, in this make-believe country that uh, we, in this hypothetical hypothetical country, where we created on my island. Yes, in your we, society. There would be no politics. Well, no, but there would still be. Again, this goes to what we were talking about earlier. There would still be decisions that need to be made for the public good, for public services, energy, water. What What do you waste, need to decide? What, things decide like on that. Energy. What do you need to decide on energy? Uh, are we going to use coal? Are we going to use nuclear? Are we going to use wind? Uh, Where is the plant going to be built? Uh, is the nuclear plant going to be well, no nuclear? Do what? Preferably all the green energies plus cold fusion, please. So we have no, uh, we have an abundance of energy. Sure, but then there's people going, hey, look, there's. So you you use nuclear then? No, no nuclear. Okay, but nuclear is a very viable, low output, low emissions energy source. Cold fusion okay. is more effective. Cold fusion is also theoretical; it doesn't exist, but. Uh, please update your research on that, please. <laughs> I'm not going down this road again. The point is, uh, but this is exactly the point. You say, okay, there would be no nuclear. You honestly think everyone in society would be like, oh, no nuclear. Why not? If it's energy in abundance, why would they change their opinion? What else do you want than everything you need? No, but you can get everything you need multiple ways. Yeah, but yeah, but what else? If it's already there, why why change it? If it's already there in a in a reform and abundance, and and why 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 change it? Uh, okay. Imagine everybody everybody has free energy. Why would they change that? They they they'd have to be pretty dumb, right? No, we're not even asking about changing. I'm asking you're setting up the society and you're deciding what you're gonna do, just to start with. I mean, because if you're setting up the society, for example, in West Virginia, the United States, 
coal is much more abundant and much more usable than, for example, solar. Because it's overcast a lot in West Virginia. Plus cold fusion, so what's the problem? I don't need energy problems. Why, why do I need to create it? Do, do you think energy is not a... Uh, an, is limited? Do you think that this is um, something... Again, okay. No, I want to avoid this because we're getting derailed yeah, I know. on I know. a minuscule topic. The point was, minuscule. how do you, no, how do you make public decisions for public goods? And why do you think your society is better than an organized what public, goods? D- public it operations? It is better because it takes equally care for everybody. And always. I'm not talking there about that. Would... Wait, what public goods? Roads. 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 Well, well, I would help people build roads. I mean, if I could ask, hey, you want to build a road? Yeah, sure. Okay. And then we say, hey, we'd like that road to go through uh, John's house. It's kind Why of in the way. That's John's the shortest house. distance. Well, it doesn't need to be always the shortest. It's a fucking road. It's meant to travel fast. But can it just go around him? <laughs> See again, we're getting caught up in minutia, and I hate that you keep doing this. My no, point you, is, you, 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 there are you, public you, goods. There are public goods. There are public services. There are public. There are public. Don't you see a pattern here, Paul? Like, yeah, I do see a pattern. So we're not getting anywhere. Everything, everything is completely functional. In it's perfect. World. Yes, there are no yeah, conflicts. It can be. It can be. It can be made that way. Yeah, and I hope it does. But yeah, yeah me too. But it's very unlikely. But it's... I mean, right now we have to work with what we have, and that is yeah, like that's true. Resources, and everyone's organized, and everyone isn't fully enlightened. So how do you work with reality? Because obviously, if you don't vote and if you don't do anything and if you don't impact it, the state's still going to oppress people yeah. and prevent them from being enlightened to the point where they realize that they're enslaved. Uh, I didn't. We didn't say we don't do something. We try to inform the people. Just for example, uh, we, I have impact on my community. I have impact on people. I help them. Or try to bring people to start researching everything on their own and not just believe what is standing there because it is standing there. So uh, you mentioned that you have an impact on your community. You try to have an impact on your community. And I, the, one of the original questions was: Do you ever see a scenario in which you would vote? If there was a policy that was being proposed that you thought had a detrimental impact on your community, you still wouldn't vote. You still think that you're doing a better job playing an informal or informational role or an educational role. Or just a helping hand, yeah, definitely. But if they were to come into your community, a politician was going to be elected that would say we are theoretically going to start teaching Christianity in the local schools. Like we're going to base our school system on religion. Well, in Germany, it's it's a little more transparent. There have been some, when a political figure leaves his, his position, you can pretty much follow where he goes to. Like Gerhard Schröder goes to Gazprom, you know, that's pretty obvious then. So in Germany, it's, it's more widely accepted that politicians work for corporate lobbies. So it doesn't matter who I vote for. 
And you, you just said, uh, I mean, if you do not realize that this is the fact, that regardless of what you vote, you do not vote for, for political agendas, you, you just, um, political figures work for lobbies or for people behind them. That's just how politics work. Um, like any normal functioning ideology that is like ideal for its own like spreading is going to compel the person to sacrifice themselves or their family for like the greater good of like the group or the greater group of like the, the furthering of the idea. So if I, if, if I know, doing... um, I want to jump on that. If I know my sacrifice means that I reach thousands of people and that things get changed from that point on, you know, yeah, that's, that's something I would do. I, w I would live in suffering and in, in pain, in jail, whatever, or be shot or have a tragic accident or whatever. If, if, if this would mean that I would reach thousands and thousands of people and they would change their minds and now we're opened, I would, I would so do that. But that's not the case. But it's not like you're, you're looking for like reasons or like ways to like reach hundreds of thousands of people. Well, what, what's, what, what is there? What, what can I do? I mean, imagine like bombing the Capitol and like writing a manifesto. Why, why, why would I do that? Why, why would I? Why would write I write a manifesto uh, and leave it on like the door of like every household within a mile of where you live? And why would I want to be violent? Because it would get attention and it would destroy the evil people who are oppressing uh, everyone. But if I get aggressive, it would uh, go against my belief in natural law, which is non-violent and okay, non-aggressive. Okay, yeah, but if your actions could potentially, like, save millions of people from suffering and create an ideal society, why wouldn't, like, you give your all for that? But that doesn't happen. That's not the case. Of course it's the case. And uh, you, you want to, yeah, now you want to like find a, a loophole where I admit to uh, being a terrorist. Look at, look at early Christians. But I'm not a terrorist. Like, I don't want to be aggressive. I don't want to be violent. <clears throat> and I, I will never basically be. Basically what, what we can do is put the information out, for example, in the internet, so the people can decide on their own, do I want to read it? Do I want uh, to go after that path or not? That's the thing. That would be doing non-violent action. Yeah. If, if you look at, I think, like, the best um, example of, like, a good, like, ideology that, like, spreads rapidly is Christianity. Like, a Roman soldier, like, went up to a Christian and said, are you Christian? And they say yes. It's like, denounce your religion or we will kill you. And they still said, no, we will not denounce it. We believe in Christianity. Over something completely trivial as that, that's the kind of self-sacrifice you need in order to, like, further an ideology in order to, to the point of, like, the utopia. And when you don't have that, like, completely disposing yourself, when you when you aren't willing to do that or when you aren't, like, willing to throw yourself aside for, like, something so trivial, it reaches the point where it people become, like, much more likely to just support themselves and much more likely to become more and more and more... Um, less likely to self-sacrifice for the society. And that that's the problem. I mean, it basically devolves into people basically putting their own interests in front of the interests of other people. And sure, 
they can be caring and sure they can be empathetic, but at the end of the day, they're the number one person that they look after. And that is the problem when you have groups of people around the world who put their self-interest uh, against their, uh, put their, put their self-interest secondary. And that's, that's ultimately the key to any good society. I mean, not good society, like any strong society, basically, any survival society. And that's what you need. And I think that that's the perfect example. Like, if you look at Christianity, once again, people were just willing to put everything on the line, even in, like, the most trivial ways. And what was the result? The religion spreading. Well, they didn't only put themselves on the line, but also they put the lives of others on the line. Let's not, yeah. let's not so, make Christianity, like, the the, the caring and um, overly, um, I mean... For what religion died more people than for Christianity? I mean, I don't know, but that's probably going to be ideal. Like, I don't think that like an anarchist society would have like millions of people like sacrificing themselves for the ideal that you're proposing. It just wouldn't happen. Because the society once already... again, your 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 ideal, like constantly encourages people to look after their own self-interest not really not only mostly in opinion i i think because it's caring about everybody in the community not about only about uh, themselves it's about caring about everybody for the greater good for the community so to speak yeah but, but it also demands that everyone has that same belief Why does it have to be? It's not. It doesn't have to be a religion. I mean, it's just beneficial. If if he feels good, then he can. If he's happy, he he can help me out better. I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, if, if if you have a close community and and you're my neighbor and I notice you're in deep depression or you don't don't show up or whatever, and then I I, I ring your bell or whatever, don't knock and notice you're in deep depression. It just in in the future, it's just in my best interest that you're happy. Because maybe maybe you can help me out later on, and I can help you out, and we 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 whatever you tell me of something you found out, and I tell you of something I found out. So it's it's just mutually beneficial to care for others. Again, and this goes back to I 100% agree with you. I don't submit that everyone in a society would ever also 100% agree with us on that. Okay. Yeah, you also believe you that depression arises from nothingness. So like, no, I never said it arises from nothingness. I said, said it was hereditary. Imagine if your community was in a war with like a super religious cult. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sick of this hypothetical situation. Can I please wrap this up? Because yeah, this let's, is... let's not do the hypotheticals. I just, I do want to do. All right. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, I'll get to the, my point. At the end of the day, there's a there's a huge difference in personal conviction between a person who says that like. Oh, you're going to heaven if you do this, and someone who just says, "Oh, you're going to make the community better if you do this." Like, there's a huge difference in personal conviction there, and it leads to people becoming more dedicated to society rather than just um, turning to themselves. Well, for someone who kills himself or, or is like what what you just described, I mean, sacrifice himself and other all other people he can find for going to heaven. Then you, he, this this person just didn't do the 
and they didn't ask enough questions. He just believed in the word he got taught. Well, I don't, I don't even yeah. want to say. And that conviction is what builds like societies to the level that they are at right now. Like the self-sacrifice ultimately. Yeah, you're right. Societies are now are funded by doctrine because you just described a person acting on doctrine. But let's take religion yeah, so out of it. You can say that the doctrine isn't true, but ultimately you have to accept that it's useful in certain circumstances for like survival. Let's, you just described perfectly what a society nowadays works. Yeah, I totally agree how, how it is nowadays because of doctrine. And uh, right. a lot of guys have the exact conviction about the state, about government, as you just described, because it's their religion. So, so let's take religion out of it and just think about, theoretically, liberty, right? The freedom of speech. If, if what you're describing is, if you wouldn't even fight for liberty, right? The freedom, you won't even vote in order to say, change the freedom of speech law so we can, just, we can actually have an open dialogue about this. It seems to me that you've described the, the theoretical society and ideological, or not ideological, that ideal society that you have. Is there anything that you would do or sacrifice to actually fight for it? And if there's not, how would it ever exist? I would sacrifice everything if I'm, if I'm sure that it has an outcome. It, has a, it reaches the equivalent uh, masses and changes are equivalent to my sacrifice, but it is not the case. So this question is 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 um, not valid. But this is regardless of what I do, my sacrifice can never have the outcome equal but, to the value of the sacrifice. Because goes, I am not worthless. I am worth a lot. And me living and not sacrificing myself helps out more than me sacrificing myself because my sacrifice has not the reach of the value of my life or the life goes, of my life. Well, but this goes back to my earlier question about, uh, well, two questions, really. One is, um, do you see this being a self-fulfilling prophecy, and do you expect a revolution? Because no change like this ever happens when people, I mean, when the United States, or before it was the United States, when the American revolutionaries decided to go to war with Britain to get their independence and get freedom of speech to freedom to discuss these ideas and to write their own constitution the deck was stacked against them there certainly wasn't certainty that they were going to win there well, was there was enough the certainty because they had, a, they had the manpower but they had enough men banding together and aligning and organizing but this is not the case but they were never guaranteed so, and my point the, the, is well, if you don't vote if you don't even if you don't even fight for the right to speak about this voting isn't fighting Sorry, this notion is ridiculous. I'm not talking voting. about voting. I'm not talking about voting. If you won't even fight for the right to speak about this, if you won't even go public, I completely okay, well, understand well, the reasons that you've given, but if you won't do it, then how do you know it won't fight? It's self-fulfilling because if everybody that shares the same opinion as you is not talking about it, there could be more of you out there and you don't even know. And more importantly, the ball never gets rolling. The women that are fighting for equal rights in Saudi Arabia today are never going to see it. But they fight because their granddaughters might. All right. Thank you guys for coming on. Yeah. Wow. You guys are... <laughs>
thank yes. you guys for the nice and respectful discussions, though it, it got some loud and that was okay. I, I think for me it was good discussions because it remained uh, respectful. Okay, so I want to thank uh, Instagram and Eve for joining us on uh, this week's podcast and having a, a good discussion and I think providing an interesting perspective that uh, we probably don't get a lot on this podcast. And um, so thank you guys for coming on. Thank you for having us. With that, uh, I think we'll end this episode of the podcast. Uh, as always, you can contact us at uh, fairlypoliticalpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, get in touch with us on the Facebook group, Fairly Political Podcast. Um, uh, also, the podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Pocket Casts. Um, and if you, there's a public RSS feed uh, posted on the Facebook group, I believe, uh, if you want to subscribe directly to it. If you have any questions, concerns, hit us up on one of those contact messages or one of those contact methods. And uh, until next week, uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs>